the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bear their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is. If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't, I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan... Tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth. And they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? I love the efficiency of bourbon. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. I think I feel the way you do right now. No, I don't hear you. Your mic. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't have a voice. I'm still hoarse from the weekend. And normally you come in with that super energy, but I look at you and you're like, yeah. <laughs> so I, I felt I slept 13 hours today. 13 hours and I'm still tired and don't have a voice, but I'm here. And tell us about the concert you went to. Why'd you love it so much? I loved it, but I got my ass kicked. It was pretty, it was pretty wild, man. Uh, so my buddy, Jeremy and I went together, but we, there were a couple women that I knew that were there too. So we're hanging out with one of them specifically. I'll, I'll say her name is Alicia. And so these other two ladies get into a, a fight in front of us. Like literally like, you know, like ever any, any cliche you want to use cat fight, girl fight, whatever. So, but where everyone's trying to break it up because man, it's so it's so crowded. It's elbow to elbow. Like someone starts fighting, you might get some friendly fire, you know, mm -hmm. but Alicia grabs one of the girls to try to break it up. The girl hits her. So she hits the girl in the face that pop. And then security wants to kick us out Oh, because no. I'm guilty by association. This was while Pantera was playing. So she's like, no, I was trying to break it up. The bitch hit me. She hit me. And then thankfully they let us stay, you know, so which none of us were the troublemakers though, but yeah, she had to fight and, God, a crowd surfer was in the air above my head and got dropped. I mean, completely dropped from being in the air and landed on my neck. Oh, so for fuck. like two songs, I thought, oh, shit, I'm going to be sore the rest of the week. But I, I shook it off. And then I got kicked in the nose on Sunday. And I thought, oh, that's it. My nose is broken. Uh, but again, just a couple of songs and I felt OK again. But after it was over. I think the main thing I thought was, it's not like, I know what to expect going to the show, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but it was really over the top in some regards because 
Oh, oh, let me interrupt that thought and say your film that you like, the Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. the prison that they filmed the movie at is right beside where we are. So I went in there and did a tour. They nice. turned it into some kind of haunted house shit. So I had to pretend that I liked it because my friend Jeremy paid for my ticket because I would never do that. And I was like, God, this is lame. Some woman screaming at me in my face. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Praise the God or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, be well. I'm just, uh, I'm not reacting to any of this bullshit at all. But so we're beside that prison. There's only, I don't know the exact space of how large it was, but I can tell you they oversold this event. They oh. oversold. There was too many people. They, were, they estimated 25,000 the first two days and 30,000 the last day. And they're just the last day you're elbow to elbow to the point where you can't even really raise your arms, but they're also crowd servers coming at you from four different directions. So maybe I'm getting too old for this shit. I don't know. But I think if you're at a larger venue, it wouldn't have been so bad, but yeah, I got my ass kicked, man, trying to protect women and trying to protect myself, but I'm here. I had a good time. I'm glad I got to go back to work, work as soon as the show is over and life goes on, man. So before we know it, it'll be week one. Yep, I want to tell Heidi to stick around. Uh, in about 20 minutes or 25 minutes, we're going to have a former Chicago Bears wide receiver right here on the show. And he may end up on Heidi's, Heidi's Hottie's list of players. We'll reveal who he is when he arrives. And Cliff says, ah, the concert life. I remember the days standing on chairs and pushing the buddy backwards. So he collapses a few rows. (laughs) (laughs) That is hilarious. And by the way, those two girls behind you on the screen, you want to introduce us to them? Um, I'm not sure who they are, but I certainly (laughs) like them. I like uh, the left cheek and the right cheek. (laughs) Now, she's uh, brandishing a whip. Are you into that uh, kind of uh, sexual action? I, I don't think so. I don't, I've never been whipped. I've told you this before. One of the things women are really into now, and I don't know if it's just because so many of them grew up with like porn on their phone readily available. So many women want to be choked now. And like I said, I've done it, but it's like not my thing. You know, like if it'll help them help me make them come, then I should do it. But it's not what I want to do, but... I've never been handcuffed or like beaten, and I definitely am not going to like lick shit off of some woman's foot and call her mistress or something. <laughs> if that woman was displaying the two cheeks on the screen, if she were to ask you to be her sex slave for a night, would you? It depends what we're asking me to do. If you're asking me to like blow her body or something, then I'm going to respectfully pass. <laughs> <laughs> If she wants to sodomize me or peg me with a toy, I might have to be like, eh, probably not. (laughs) But you never know. At the moment, you could give in, right? Maybe I would submit. I I don't know. Who knows at this point? (laughs) Submit is a good word. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The one to the right, or depending on my right in reality versus my left on the screen, it depends Mm -hmm. which way you're looking at the picture. But the The other woman. Taller one? It's like a Selma Hayek kind of look. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, you know, what I did is uh, I actually, uh, in Google, I punched in Heidi Zimmerman uh, sex dominatrix, and these are the photos that came came up. So Heidi might be having another job here. I was going to say, hell, if it's Heidi, then maybe (laughs) I would consider all these things I've been putting down. (laughs) <laughs> that is great she's still uh, selling her uh, toes or pictures of her feet 
she's uh, willing to explore that. So uh, I have, I've asked her to come on to the show and do a demonstration for us. And uh, so if Heidi, let me know when you're ready to do a demonstration of your toe painting. Uh, that way we can uh, open up a, a GoFundMe account and pay for some of your expenses when you come to Chicago to watch the Bears and the Raiders. Uh, before I even follow up on that, I was just, uh, it's just in my head. Even if a guy happened to like guys, nothing wrong with that. It just happens not to be my proclivity. But even if women like guys, does anybody want to see pictures of a guy's foot? Nobody wants to see pictures of a man's foot. Not even gay men is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. No, I, uh, you know, the whole foot fetish thing, sometimes I can see it when a woman is in, a, you know, beautiful heels and stuff and, and, and is beautifully manicured, pedicured, whatever it's called. But generally, you know, feet have a lot of bones and a lot of veins. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that's the way I to go. grow feet. I'm not going to lie. I hate <laughs> my own feet. Even if I get a pedicure, I still think my feet look disastrous. And so I, do all men's feet. I, I just hate. But women's feet, I dig. I once had a, uh, a girlfriend of a friend of mine tell me that I had really beautiful feet. And uh, about three or four weeks later, I brought it up again. In front of her, oh, you said you were, you said uh, that I have really beautiful feet, and the guy almost punched me in the face. <laughs> what the fuck? She said, "You don't have to bring it up again." <laughs> oh, we got a customer. We got a customer for Heidi. He says he'd buy Heidi's picks. Yay! I've seen Heidi's feet. They're they're immaculate. Let me put our feet over. Nice. So we're talking about. I was going to put a pen in that. And come back. So we still don't have our Bears Raiders tickets yet. Mm-hmm. Ron's supposed to give them, but but it is July 18th. Mm-hmm. Are you starting to get worried about, you know, or is he? Not at all. He's good. He's good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ron's going to come through. If not, I still don't have the Broncos tickets yet either. I bought them on StubHub and they're like, they're going to be available before kickoff. And I'm like, well, that's no fucking good. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> like, I bought the, the, the Packers tickets and they're, they're in my phone right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want the other tickets to my phone right now. Like I hate to be impatient, but it, it makes me, it creates anxiety for me. <laughs> Boy, Heidi's conducting business in the chat room. This is going to be one hell of a show, man. We could get she says her... that could be taken wrong. What does she mean? What, what part could be taken wrong? Um, let's see. Uh, Don Burr, uh, Detroit versus everybody boogeyman home. Maybe is that what she means? Or Dan, no, Dan Aguirre. That could be taken wrong, you know. I, I don't know what she meant by that. Well, maybe she's oh, did, Is it off-putting because I said that her feet were, were nice? No, not at all. Heidi, Heidi uh, loves for us to talk about her feet. <laughs> <laughs> and so she should. Uh, all right, let me tell you a little bit more about, oh, let's see, uh, you talking about my feet. Oh, I, I, I'm sure what she's implying is that you have, you know, been an audience for her feet, like uh, in a room with the lights low <laughs> and, and wine flowing. Okay, let me just say this right now. I've never sucked Heidi's toes, if that's what we're trying to get at. <laughs> I didn't say I wouldn't do it. I just said I haven't done it. <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> um Johnny Santucci is out tonight, so I will be manning the chat room. Anything you see that says Barroom Network on, guilty. I am the one. And uh, besides uh, talking to our Bears wide receiver and another special guest who is joining him, uh, and they should be here in about 15, 20 minutes, 
We are also going to be joined later in the show, probably at the 9.30 p.m. Central Time Hour, by Jack Silverstein. He is a Bears historian, and we're going to talk about Mongo, Steve McMichael, who has been named a semifinalist for the 2024 Hall of Fame. Now, we're going to talk about this in depth when Jack gets here, Dan, but I got to tell you, doesn't it anger you that they're waiting until 2024 to make this happen. If anyone's listened to our show, um, you and I specifically have been doing this together over three years now. If anyone's listened to it, go through the archives. How many times have I said Ongo should have made the Hall of Fame? And not because he's got MS now. Not because Mm -hmm. he he looks like everyone that sees him now is like, oh, God, we feel bad for Mongo. I'm talking about Mongo's last year's 94 with Green Bay. So he'd have been eligible. He, he was with us from, well, I guess he was with New England in, what, 80 and with the Bears from 81 to 93 and then 94 with Green Bay, which, like he said, he just took a – he stole a check from So 99, I guess he'd have been eligible for the Hall of Fame. Dude should have been in, like, 99, maybe 2000, 2001. His statistics alone build his own case. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the guy's fucking cool, man. He was a, it was a wrestler after that. Rick Flair, the U.S. champion, and the Four Horsemen, and he had the—you know—he's getting kicked out of Wrigley Field. He's just an awesome guy, man. He killed rattlesnakes for God's sake. Yeah. He was a rattlesnake hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, had beautiful women. I mean, the guy—he had a persona, and he was a great football player. And it's just a shame that if he does, we can only hope that if he does get in, he's still with us. And I don't mean to say that dark or dour or be dramatic, but he's not in good shape now. He's—he's—he's he's, he's ill. And I just, I hate that it's like, I always mention Cliff Branch because he was so good. And John and John Madden was always telling him, Hey Cliff, you're going to get in. You just got to be patient. And he finally got in. He and Ken Stabler both, but they were both dead when they got put in. Mm-hmm. It's like if Pete Rose ever makes it in, in baseball, yeah. it's like his, his problems of like gambling as a manager on his own team seem really, really insignificant now, especially with gambling going mainstream with FanDuel and all these sites but if he gets put in, they're going to wait till he's dead. There's mm-hmm. no way Pete gets in while he's alive. And, you know, he's arguably the greatest hitter in the history of Major League Baseball. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it really makes me angry. You've got Virginia McCaskey, who is, what, 100 years old. And uh, and you're not being sarcastic. We're talking literally. Yeah, she literally is 100 years old. And Steve McMichael, who is, you know, I hate to say it, but near death, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease you know, why are you putting this off? There should be an immediate vote tomorrow morning and to try to get them into this year's class to special people so that they can be alive. Uh, and I'm not saying that Virginia is going to die soon. Hopefully she lives to 100 and whatever she wants to live to. But she's, you know, to me, it just seems like you should hold a special vote right now and try to get this thing done right away. We'll talk with Jack Silverstein about that at the ni- uh, 9.30 hour Central Time Chicago. Uh, also... Can I say one more thing before you segue? Please. Uh, here's my dream scenario for us, though, right? Mm-hmm. So, let's assume that what you just said, although I agree with it, it's unlikely to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So, the Super Bowl next year, is it in Vegas? Uh, I believe you're right, yes. So, what about Super Bowl 58, dream scenario. Let me get my cum ready because I'm about to ejaculate. Super Bowl <laughs> 58, 
Bears back in the big game. You got Virginia on the field. You got Mongo on the field. Hall of Fame class, 2024, and it culminates in the Bears winning the Super Bowl with them on the field. How awesome would that have been? That's a, that's a Hollywood script, and Hollywood scripts can come true, despite what Don Burr says. Don Burr, man, bringing that fucking Detroit smack talk. <laughs> what do you think about the Lions, Dan? You think they're going to have a good team this year? they got a good roster. They should. They should have a, a, a – I mean, if I had to put my money right now on a team to win the NFC North, it should be Detroit. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they beat Rodgers in his final game ever as a Packer and eliminated them from the playoffs. And what was more impressive about that, as you know, we were watching that Seattle-Detroit game in the bar, the sports bar after the Bears-Vikings game when we left Soldier Field. Detroit, because Seattle won, Detroit couldn't even make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But they still showed up and played and beat Green Bay in Rodgers' final game and eliminated them. That should be able to, enough to carry over momentum to the next year. So if I had to bet my money, I would say the Lions should win their first North Division title. I hope it doesn't happen. hope the Bears get it from them. But they should be good. They should be good. And if they don't uh, get off to a great start, or they get if they get off to a terrible start, I predict Dan Campbell will be fired by their bye week because um, he's got the roster here to succeed. All the excuses are done with. You know, he's got to know the rule book by now. <laughs> he's got to know time management by now. <laughs> I would say he's got a little bit more rope now because even though he says crazy things like he's going to drown his opponents and I don't know what the hell he's talking about. He speaks in like metaphors and analogies that don't make any sense to me. But uh, he, I mean, again, he beat Rodgers in his final game. Like if I'm a Detroit guy, I'm like, that's my coach. That's my Mike Ditka. Because mm-hmm. they've never had a great coach. I mean, Wayne Fonts was there forever and did some good things. You know, won the division title in 91. But they've never had like this preeminently, like who who's their best coach ever? It's like, who knows, right? I mean, maybe Wayne Fonts. But maybe that's Dan Campbell now. Maybe Dan Campbell is their Ditka. Could be. You know, uh, on the Gabriel Talks football show today, we had Brad Biggs on, and Greg told Brad that the biggest story of the offseason was Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets. And as he was saying that, I was thinking to myself, you know, my mind drifted, and I'm thinking to myself, maybe in years from now, people will say that in the biggest offseason story in 2023 was the draft and player acquisitions by the Chicago Bears. It propelled them to the Super Bowl in oh. that very same year. I started daydreaming that. I had to slap myself. What a great dream. <laughs> a lot of what dreams happen. This. Manifest this into reality somehow. And if I could say, I think the biggest story is Brady finally quitting is the biggest story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great point. That's a great point. Um Frankly, I wish he would have quit before he won the Super Bowl at Tampa Bay. But, no, no, uh, no, no, but he'd be not Green Bay out in the championship game. Maybe if no. Brady's not playing, then Green Bay's got another Super Bowl. So, I, again, I, Don, I don't hate the Lions. I don't hate Minnesota. I fucking loathe Green Bay as much as the Palestinians and the Israelis hate each other back and forth. <laughs> Who do you hate more, the Vikings or the Lions? I feel sorry for Minnesota uh, because they lost those Super Bowls, even though that was a long time ago now. But they're losing four Super Bowls. It's hard for me not to have empathy for you. Same thing as Buffalo in the 90s. Uh, and, and Detroit lost so much, I have empathy for them because we've lost a lot in the last 30 years. So 
I don't I don't have hate for either one. I don't. I mean, of course, I want to win every time we play them, but uh, I don't. I don't hate either one. But I take every loss to Green Bay personally, like you know, like somewhat like my cousin stealing from me. Like every now, loss is like, I, I, you know, it shouldn't happen all the time, but it does. Yeah, it wears on us, no doubt. It's well, who was the coach that said uh, you, when you lose, it's it, you die a little inside. You die, George Allen. It was just George Allen, yes. He's like, I, he's like you might not die, but it, it does some damage to like your spleen or some shit. He's like, exactly, you, you die a little bit, your organs. Yeah, he should have been the Bears' coach, by the way. Yeah, he should have been uh, instead of Jim Dooley. I don't know what was up with Mister Hallis. Uh, Vikings are being overlooked, according to Steve. Me, I hate to say it, but for me, they win the North. They split with us and beat Detroit and the Cheese home and away. Well, the reason I my exception to that, the Stephen uh, Mees comment is just to say that Minnesota was thirteen and four last year, and it's kind of like the O one Bears, mm-hmm. like when they went thirteen and three, and everyone was like, "Oh, but they were lucky," and the every every bounce went their way, and I fought that narrative the whole lot. Oh no, no, the Bears are good, and of course the next year they start two and zero, but finish four and twelve, and everyone's mm-hmm. like, "Aha, I told you so." I think that this Minnesota team is similar to the O one Bears team. They, everything went their way. And just like the 0-1 Bears, they got their ass beaten in the playoffs as soon as it started at home. Remember, the Giants ran all over them. So I think they come back to earth. They lost a lot of players. I I think that they could finish uh, third or fourth in hmm. the division. Interesting. Um, today, uh, also on the Gabriel Show, we talked a little bit about um, the Bears linebackers. And... Uh, I wish I could remember who mentioned it in the chat room saying that this could be the best linebacker group since the Erlacher Briggs year. What do you think about Tremaine Edmonds uh, uh, and TJ Edwards and Jack Sanborn as the starting linebackers? You think this could be one, one of the all time best uh, crews, at least maybe this century? Well, Sanborn, by the way, says he's a hundred percent. So that's big. Cause remember he mm-hmm. got hurt and was out for the year. And this is a guy that's playing on heart more so than talent. So he's got to have everything that he's got, like to be great, you know? Uh, so with that said, I don't know if it's going to be the, uh, I don't know if they're going to be Erlacher and Briggs or even Erlacher, Warwick Coleman and, and uh, Roosevelt Colvin. But I think it's, it's got the, it's got the opportunity to be mm-hmm. a really solid linebacking core. Mm, okay. uh, for sure. One that could carry the defense from just abysmal last year to highly respectable this year. Okay. Our guest is backstage, one of our two guests. Uh, and I want to uh, – I'm going to ask him, if does he want to be seen on camera? Because I noticed that his camera is off. Let me bring him in here. Joaquin, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Hey, what's going on, man? Are you going to turn your camera on, or you prefer not to be seen tonight? Oh, oh, not not today. I've been traveling a bunch. I don't, I don't have a haircut, need to shave, and all that. So I have my appointment, right. but I, I can't do it tonight. <laughs> That's quite all right. Can, can you see us? Yes, I can. Okay, because I'm going to put something up on the screen uh, that uh, you may remember. This was, uh, and, and I'm asking everyone in the chat room. We still haven't identified who this is. Take some guesses as to who this is. This was your first day at camp with the Chicago Bears. 
you uh, went over the middle, reached up high, made the catch nice and clean. And uh, this can be found on YouTube under Alex Santana's. And here it is one more time. Actually, I got a couple more times. Nice high point. Grab that ball with your hands with the thumbs pointed in. Look at that cut. Beautifully done. And, of course, our guest tonight is Joaquin Iglesias. Joaquin, how are you doing? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great. Awesome. Awesome. Stephen B says you're a bear down legend. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Will Wright, who uh, made the arrangements to have you on, should be joining us pretty soon. Uh, but I want to let's start with you. Uh, Heidi Zimmerman, by the way, is like flabbergasted that you're on and she's not on to greet you. Heidi is uh, has a, a top 10 list of her hottest Chicago Bears players, and you were number 11, just outside number 10. <laughs> hey, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> By the way, say hi to Dan Aguirre, who is our resident uh, Bears historian. He knows everything about you, including parts of your sex life. Oh, God. oh well, that, <laughs> hey, Dan, how, how are you doing? I'm hoarse, sir. I apologize. I was at a music festival over the weekend, but l let me ask you a, a question right off, if you don't mind. So you're drafted in the third, the third round. You come in the year the Bears trade for Cutler. Like there was April second. I bought the jersey like ten seconds after the trade was announced. So I was a big Cutler guy. But that's me being in the Bears fan seat. There's so many people that called him assholes, and it wasn't a good teammate. I know you weren't around him like the whole eight years he was here. But what was your impression of of Jay Cutler as as a man that had a uniform on beside him? Well, first off, like when I found out um, that I was going there, he was there, obviously, uh, I was excited. I mean, I came from a pass-heavy offense at Oklahoma, so I was excited. I was ready to go. Um, uh, he actually came out to the rookie camp the first coming days, and he actually was one of the first person who, one of the first people who reached out to me. Um, so I was excited. Um, obviously, it didn't work out, but, I mean, I just think it's, I mean, just – I didn't think he was an asshole or anything. I thought it was just, you know, it's just competitive guys and then a competitive environment. Um, everybody wants to win and everybody, everybody has different ways of getting it done. So um, that never bothered me. I mean, cause I'm sure I came off to asshole to many people before. So <laughs> well, let me ask you about the old nine season though. And again, I'm not trying to say anything bad about Devin Aroma should do when I say this, but as the season went on, you know, Erlacher's out for the year from week one. And at one point they're five and nine. The Bears finished seven and nine. But the point is the season's not going well. Cedric Benson has his game, his revenge game against them, and runs for like 250 yards. And the Bears go to Baltimore and lose like 112 to three. I mean, so shit's not going well. At any point, I mean, again, I don't you you take me inside the hole here behind the lock. How does a guy who's drafting a third round when he's seeing someone like Aroma should do with all due respect, you know, suddenly getting activated? do you go to love and you're like, dude, we're not winning. Why not put me in there and show you that I can ball? Like, does that ever, does that happen? Like, can you tell me what, how that is for a player? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I was just saying about guys who are competitive, right? I'm, I'm one of those guys. I mean, you don't make it to the NFL without being competitive. So from day one, I wanted to help. I wanted to be out there with my team. That was actually the first time in a long time that I'd, wasn't able to play, I mean, and, and not help my guys and have to sit there and watch. So um, I didn't care who was out there, whether it was D.A., Devin Roman should do, 
uh, Rasheed, Devin Hester, that didn't matter to me. I wanted to play. I didn't care who was out there. Um, and I wished them nothing but the best of luck when they were out there. But, yeah, I mean, it, it burned inside of me that I wasn't able to try to help or, you know, try to maybe add a spark because um, I thought I for sure could do that. What do you think got you in? I don't want to, to put I don't want to put words in your mouth, but Ron Turner's the OC then. Uh-huh. What exactly? How did you get in like the doghouse where you couldn't even like most people would say you didn't get a fair shot? Right. Um, I honestly think from day one, I didn't fit that mold of offense. Um, I come from I came from Oklahoma where we threw it. I mean, 50, 60, 70 times a game. Um, we ran about 120 plays a game to where now we're just, you know, running the ball a bunch and um, blocking and you got big speed guys who can run down the field and stretch the field like, a, you know, Devin Hester, Johnny Knox, people like that. I mean, that just didn't fit my style. Um, I, so I wouldn't necessarily say I was in the doghouse. It just it just didn't fit my, my style of play. Um, I've never been asked to do that before, and I've always come from like a running gun. And honestly, when I got drafted to, to Chicago, I, I was surprised because I, <laughs> I didn't think that that was – you know, my fit from day one. But and they must have had like high expectations for you to take you in the third round. Did they ever like convey, well, this is how we see you. We envision you doing this. Like, cause they must've thought really highly of you. Cause that's a high, you're a high draft pick. Yeah. I, yeah. And I mean, you have those talks, um, you know, with coaches and they tell you to kind of, you know, keep fighting so to speak and all that. But then the day, I mean, it speaks for itself, right? I'm I'm not playing. So no matter what was said to me, the offense, whether I thought I fit it or not, I mean, I wasn't playing. So it was one of those things to where I just wanted to help. I just wanted to help the team and try to go out there and give them all. And obviously, you know, going into the league, it's just not trying to be drafted, right? It's trying to get on the field and play and actually, you know, make a, make, make a splash in the NFL. And I, I just wasn't uh, unfortunately able to do that. Let me in, interrupt for just a second. I want to bring my man in, Will Wright. He's made this all possible. Will, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing well. How you doing, my friend? Good, good. Uh, for some reason, I'm not seeing you. I know that you're on camera. Do you want to be seen? Can you see me? I can see. Um, for some reason, see. Hold on a second. Uh, whatever you – there you are, partially anyway. Is that better? Uh, no, it was better before. Before, yeah, you go. You were there for a second. There you go. There's Will Wright. <laughs> Partially obscured again for some reason. There you go. How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing well. How about you, my friend? Doing great. Thank you very much for reaching out to me and uh, introducing us to Joaquin Iglesias. Of course, we knew all about Joaquin uh, during his time with the Bears and followed him afterwards. We were in the middle. Uh, Dan Aguirre was in the middle of asking Joaquin some uh, questions. Uh, why don't you continue, Dan, and then uh, we'll bring Will in to talk about the current Bears. Well, okay, Mr. Iglesias, it was my understanding you grew up a Bears fan. Is that correct? No. no Isn't that correct? Who did you like growing up <laughs> no. as a kid? Uh, the Cowboys. I'm from Texas, so my family was all Cowboys fan. I grew up around, you know, the the, the glory days, you know, Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, all them guys. So that that's what I grew up. Uh, so Cowboys. when you watch football now, okay. do you identify? Uh, that makes, uh, a, makes a lot of sense. But you're you're a Bears fan today, is that right, Joaquin? Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you got to give love to the team that drafted you and gave you an opportunity for sure. 
Exactly, exactly. Uh, Dan, I know you had one more question before we start talking about the current Bears, um, or at least one. Go ahead. I think I know where you want me to take this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't be offended. You may be, I think you already know about this. There's a stand-up comedian that mentions you in her routine quite frequently. Uh, she talk, She loves to talk about celebrities that she's had coitus with. I'm trying to be as speaking euphemisms. Uh, uh, people that she's had sex with. And your name gets dropped a lot from Lisa Lampanelli. Your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before. I don't even. I don't know who that is. Really. Oh my goodness, Joaquin! We got a story for you. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's got. I think I, I think I remember maybe something in the past about that, but I didn't know who it was, or I, I never actually met that person, so I didn't, you know, I didn't think it was true. On obvious, I mean, honestly, to be honest with you, I she's heard got it this routine where she brags about. I I don't know if you want me to be rated R PG here, but let's just say. She has a, a, a shtick where she brags about celebrities or football players that she has sex with. And she was saying that she was doing all these guys from the Bears. And like I said, she's mentioned your name specifically. I've seen on two or three different stand-ups. So I don't know if you ever want to file a lawsuit or something. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I guess I mean, it's in her stand-up, so I hope it's funny at least or something. Yeah. I don't know. If you like raunchy humor, Joaquin, uh, she'd be right up your alley. I mean, she talks about, you know, in the dirtiest way imaginable, she talks about having sex and what she, well, I won't get into it because uh, we want to maintain some decorum here. But we'll, after you guys leave, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the present day Chicago Bears. Will, I want to bring you in. I know you are a huge, huge Huge Chicago Bears fan. You and I have exchanged a number of texts. Uh, tell me what you think about the prospects of this year's 2023 Chicago Bears making the playoffs. You know what? I'm going to be honest. I think it's going to be similar to what happened back in 2018. You know, the previous year, they had five wins, and then we had 12 in 2018. I, I just think because of the uh, personnel upgrade, um, Justin's second year in the system, Justin has a, a number one wide receiver and, and DJ Moore. The back seven on the defense is steady. If, if, if we get an edge or two, the defense will be formidable. And when you look at the offense, you know, Bob Tunyon, that's a sneaky signing along. And, and I think Chase Claypool and uh, I think uh, Darnell Mooney, you know, they will get to be in their, their roles versus trying to be number one wide receivers. And, and they'll feast on those second and third cornerbacks you know against the other team and i think we have a good running game again like last year when we led the lead in russia so i just think the balance is there the contract balance is there you know i think ryan pose has done a great job of coming in and clean up a lot of mess that ryan pace put us in as far as uh you know personnel trading away draft capital you know we we built the stock so i think the present is great and i think the future is great Joaquin, do you agree with that, or you know, what can you add to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it kind of goes back to um, you know my time there. It's like when you bring in one guy, right? Like a Jay Cutler. I mean, it just takes time to to, to gel together. No matter how good the talent is, um, it just takes time. And like Will mentioned, all those guys that you're adding uh, to get them 
in the system, in the building, around a young uh, Justin Fields, and he's in the second year in the system, I mean, I, it can't be anything but better, right? I mean, so it just takes time to gel, um, and everybody has to just fit in the system and kind of play their role, as Will touched on. Joaquin, you, you would have loved playing in today's NFL where it's a passing game now. I mean, defensive backs can't even sneeze at you. Uh, you know, they're throwing the ball 80% of the time. Like you mentioned before, you came from a college that, you know, threw the ball a lot. You would have, you would have feasted in today's NFL, right? Oh, I say that all the time. I think I was born maybe 10 to 15 years too early. Because uh, not only that, I would have loved to be in college too, where I can get some of that NIL money as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was taking a look at your highlights from uh, college, and uh, it's very impressive. In fact, let me see if I can put some up on the screen here so that way we can all uh, enjoy this. Uh, coming up in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Here, this is you at uh, Oklahoma. You remember any of these plays? Look at that move. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. That was my one and only catch from my senior night against Texas Tech. So, it was a good one. I went out on a good one on a good note. Nice. Nice. Who was your quarterback at Oklahoma? Uh, I had three, but that one right there is Sam Bradford. Okay. I had one Sam Bradford. That was our my senior year. But, yeah, I had Paul Thompson and Rhett Bomar as well. Excellent. What, what's your greatest uh, college football memory? That game right there, um, to win it, I think we broke some record where it was like six games in a row um, that we scored 60 points was the record at the time. I don't know where that record stands today, but mm -hmm. we were just on a roll, had fun. That's in Kansas City, Missouri, where my wife was at, at the time, girlfriend. Um, we were having our first kid. She was there with her friends and family and um, we won that game to go to the national championship, so it doesn't get too much better than that. Outstanding. And, Joaquin, when you look at uh, Justin Fields uh, today, do you have any concerns about him as a passer? No, no. I mean, he just fits the mold for an NFL quarterback right now. I mean, you look at Jalen Hurts, I mean, all those guys, even like guys like Cam Newton who kind of started that trend RG3, I mean, all those guys. I mean, that that is the way of the league right now. You throw it around a bunch, you have a mobile quarterback, you're going to be all right. I mean, you, you can't say um, – and they figure that stuff out, right? And it's just like anything else. The more and more you get to play, the more and more you're, uh, you see the coverages and the defenses, um, the better he's going to be. So, I mean, you're, you can't expect guys to come in from day one, rookies, and just be throwing it all over the place. I mean, the guys are bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. It's a whole different animal. It's a whole different beast. So, um, no, I think he'll do fine, and he's already, you know, do, doing pretty good. We uh, do a show here at the Barroom Network with Greg Gabriel, the guy who uh, was res res responsible for drafting you. And uh, Greg said, you got to keep in mind that this that he's had four offensive corners, he being Justin Fields, has had four offensive coordinators uh, in his last four years. So last year it was – Getsy, the year before that it was Nagy, and so three actually, and then at Ohio State his third. So finally in his fourth year he will have a back-to-back -back offensive coordinator. Tell me how much of a, di a big difference that makes, Joaquin. Oh, it's tough. I mean, you got to get you got to basically start all over. I mean, I dealt with some of that same stuff uh, in the beginning of Oklahoma, and then you see what happened, um, you know, by the end of Oklahoma, and the same thing being from team to team and different offense coordinators and 
I mean, it, it's it's tough. I mean, you got to drop all terminology. You got to use different terminology. I mean, it's tough. And then you're already playing a game that you have to make a lot of quick decisions, um, you know, on, on the fly and on the go. So if, if you just add another layer to it where you're learning a new offense along the way as well, I mean, it just makes it, it makes it harder for everybody. I mean, so, um, and what people don't think is just on the offensive side, when you have an offensive side of the ball that's constantly thinking, learning new terminology, it doesn't help the defense either in practice, you know, where it, it's constantly being stopped, you know, practices being stopped. You're trying to explain and learn. Well, the defensive guys are trying to fly around. They're trying to react and get ready. So, I mean, it, it affects your whole team. So, um, but he'll do fine, especially with having that uh, second year up under him. He, he should do even better than he did. Well, what, if any, concerns do you have about Justin Fields entering year three? I'm going to be honest. I don't really have any. If, if the line jails, you know, the biggest thing, the biggest issue I had was you, you can't have a Ferrari, but, you know, put it in with a bunch of Ford Fusions and, and Tauruses. So you, he, speed up his process. I think that will happen more because he trusts his receivers now. You know, if you if you got uh, – and don't give me – there's nothing wrong with – Eponymous St. Brown and Dante Pettis, but Joaquin in today's time would have been a number one receiver on that depth chart last year compared to what we had. So yeah. when you're looking at when you're looking at these guys, the inability to get separation, the inability to go to a three, five, seven step drop without a defensive tackle or edge in your lap, you know, like you got to look at every aspect of um, giving him the, the resources and the time to have the precision to, to accomplish what we want him to accomplish as an NFL quarterback. You know, everybody calls him a running back. I, like, he, he's an athlete. He, like, like Joaquin said earlier, he's the new trend of athlete. Um, the, you know, we're down here with Dak Prescott. But when you look at Kyler Murray, when you look at Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, you know, the, the paid man is in Tom break, the statues in the pocket, that, that, that no longer exists. So if you give him the resources, which I think Ryan Poles has done, I, I think the sky's the limit. I, we're looking at a top five offense. I'm, I'm going to predict that and forecast that right now. Could I ask well, Joaquin another question quickly? Sure. You can ask as many as you want. Uh, well, and I'm not trying to like lead him into an answer because I don't know what his answer is going to be. And I'm not trying to imply he should be angry or he should be upset or he should be depressed. I'm not saying any of these things, but I don't know what he, your answer is, sir. It's been 14 years now, and – we can all sit here and not placate you and say you were better than what you were able to represent on the field. We know that. We've seen your tape. We just watched it. You're a third-round pick. But you didn't get the shot you deserved. And I'm not blowing smoke when I say that. So 14 years later, how do you feel about that when you look back on it? I feel like I would have a little bit of animosity about it, but I don't know. Can you tell me the mind of an NFL player that didn't get his fair shake? Oh, I mean, at the time when I was, you know, a lot younger, um, I was I was upset. I'm not going to lie and say that I wasn't, um, you know, because, again, like we talked about earlier, as a competitor, you want to be out there. You want to compete against the top of the top and see where I was at. Um, but now that I look back on it, oh, man, I, I don't feel any animosity or anything negative about being drafted. In the, I mean, in the third round, I mean, it's I, I know I was blessed to even be able to to have my name roll across that screen. Um, the opportunities I was afforded to give my family uh, is nothing but a blessing. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm at peace with that. Um, but yeah, during the time, I mean, when I still had those 
you know, competitive juices flowing, so to speak. Yeah, I was ready to go. I was ready to get out there. Um, yeah, and, and had a little sour taste in my mouth, but you know, didn't work out for me. And I know the NFL too is a lot about chance. And anybody who knows about the game, you have to fit into the right system. You have to have the right quarterbacks, the right coaches, all that, because everybody can play at that level. Um, it just, you know, who gets the opportunities and who doesn't. So, um, you know, kind of that old thing. I mean, it is what it is at this point. And I'm looking at a scouting report from NFL.com, and there's a number of great scouting reports on you when you came out of college. Uh, this one is writing, Iglesias didn't get as much pub publicity as Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Sam Bradford or tight end Jermaine Gresham or even Sooners wide receiver Malcolm Kelly. But he did, but all he did was lead Oklahoma in receptions, 68 in 2007, 74 in 2008, and receiving yards, 970, 1150 the past two seasons. He also scored 10 times as a senior en route to a second team, all Big 12 honors. And then they list your strengths here and true. I'm not bullshitting here. It's got the longest list of strengths I've ever seen. Positives, good initial quickness off the snap and into his route. Experienced route runner who can generate separation from defenders due to his agility. Reliable hands, can pluck the ball outside of his frame and quickly secures it. Tracks the ball. Well. I mean, your head must be swelling by now, right, brother? <laughs> <laughs> no, but at the end of the day, man, I didn't play. That's kind of how it works. But yeah. I always – and I just gave somebody this, um, this example the other day. It's funny because, I, yeah, like that report says, I never was like this flashy guy, but I just kind of went to work. I kind of, you know, I, I just handled my business, um, and I was a football player at the end of the day. Uh, but it's funny because it's the same thing that I was at the Senior Bowl. You had all these guys that people loved and liked and all that, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, when you look up the stats, I had the most receptions, had the most yards, and just kind of <laughs> did my thing, just went along the way. I'm not going to be a flashy guy, but I'm a, I'm I'm move the chains, and I you know prided myself on that. And um, but yeah, unfortunately, just didn't get my get my chance. <clears throat> Do you think that there? You know, your story is something that happens to a lot of NFL players, talented ball players who've proven themselves at the collegiate level, but because you know, whatever, an injury uh, delays their ability to get to camp or because the team that drafted him isn't running the kind of system that is appropriate for that player. Do you think that there's a lot of stories like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because at the end of the day, no matter how many talented guys you have, you only have 11 on, the, on one side of the ball. So mm -hmm. it's only 11 spots. And then, you know, when you start paying guys, I mean, th th those numbers even shrink, you know, smaller because you're going to have one quarterback, you're going to have a seat, a center, you know. So, I mean, you're fighting for five spots um, on an NFL roster as a receiver, if that. But, I mean, now I'm sure it's more. But back then it was four or five, you know, receivers. And that fifth receiver had to play every single special teams. It might be different now. But um, so, I mean, you're talking four spots on 32 teams. I mean, that's 128 guys. So out of millions and millions of guys who play, uh, mm -hmm. and, and then you start taking away some of those numbers because you have guys like when I played Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald that are going to be there forever. So, I mean, that, that number dwindles. So it's, um yeah, I mean, it's a game of chance. I mean, <clears throat> you make it to the NFL, but that's just the beginning. I mean, you got to still fall into the right system. You have to have – you know, that team, I mean, that chemistry with your quarterback, with your coach, with your receiver coach. I mean, a lot of stuff has to go right uh, besides just getting your name called across the screen.
could I ask you one more question? And I'll stop stealing my time here. You're not stealing you anything. Me, Get out of here. Well, could you tell me the mindset back then? Of what it was like when you're on the Bears, you're like, dude, I can play. I want to get playing time. And then Minnesota takes you off of the practice squad. Mm -hmm. So are you like, man, I wanted to prove myself here? Or are you like, okay, fuck, I'm going over there. I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them that I'm, I can ball. Oh, but you also have to learn a new offense, and you're in the middle of the season. Can you tell me how, how that, that impacted you emotionally at that time? Oh, yeah. Well, so, I mean, that was a complete strategic move. Um because I was on the practice squad, wasn't, you know, getting the opportunity to play yet again. Um, so, and we were going, we had already made the playoffs. Um, and I think we were going into the game, the Bears, I don't know if they were playing on maybe the Lions or Green Bay again or something like that. Um, uh, it was a division game, but we had already made the playoffs. So a lot of the starters were going to sit. So they were telling me they were going to bring me up for one game. Well, I was like, man, I want to have a chance to play. Cause I know Minnesota was there that wanted me to come, but I was like, I want a chance to play not only for just this game. That means nothing. I want to play for the future. Is that, you know, a chance? And they were like, and I forget who, who told me this, but um, he was like, Oh, well, I mean, it, uh, that's understandable. We can bring you up for this game and then we can put you back down to the practice squad for the next game. And I'm like, well, that right there tells me everything I need to know. I have no place here. I'm going to go try to go find something for myself. Um, so it just – I wanted to go to the Minnesota because I thought that was a, a place I was going to be able to play. And then, of course, the lockout happened, so it, I didn't really get a chance to do that either. So it just didn't fall my way. Well, how was it that the two of you guys met? Man, Joaquin, like my brother, we met at a, a business uh, meeting probably about 10, 12 years ago. And like I said, I'm an astute business person. Uh, Joaquin is an astute business person. So, you know, outside of football, it's the same work ethic and it's the same grind and same commitment and motivation to be great. So, you know, like minds and, and like talents align. Mm -hmm. There you go. Uh, Steve Me says, big respect to Joaquin to even get to the NFL level is a massive achievement. Retro says, a thank you for your time and effort for the Bears, Joaquin. More players are not given the opportunity than the few that are. So, uh, that, you know, that's that's the prevailing opinion here. Us fans, uh, and I'm sure you know this, Joaquin, we're, we're so grateful for the effort that you guys put to get onto the field, to fulfill your dreams, to be a professional football player, it's a dangerous sport. I know I couldn't withstand that punishment. I don't care how many days I'd be in the gym. I'm just not cut out for, for you know, running over the middle and getting hit by a 265-pound linebacker. No, <laughs> I, I, no, I can't do that. <laughs> but there you are, man, do, doing it at the collegiate level, going to Bears camp. And like I showed earlier before Will got in, I found this uh, videotape of Joaquin in practice. Look at this. Well, going over the middle right away. It's the first day of camp. This was the very first day of camp. You remember this, Joaquin? I can't see it. Oh, that's right. Oh, you can't see it. Oh, well, you're going to have to watch it on the replay. 
but I, uh, I I edited it together three times, one in slow motion, one in super slow motion, and you're going over the middle on an inside pattern and reaching up high for the ball and making the catch. It's just what you guys do is just unbelievable, and we hold you guys in uh, high respect. And and when things don't turn out for you, you know, I know some fans get stupid and, you know, say something nasty on social media or whatever, but deep down uh, – the vast majority of us, you know, our hearts go out to you because we know the sacrifices you make, not only physically, but also mentally, emotionally, time away from family and stuff. It's, it's huge, man. So uh, I, I hope that you're getting that sense from not only Dan and myself, but also the people uh, watching with their comments. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, and you got to love, you know, the Bears fans. And trust me, I want to be out there just for them as well. Um, and there's nothing like walking out. Um, to training camp down there, and I mean, just having all those Bears fans, and you see Bears fans everywhere. They're one of the you know most loved fan bases of all time. So, uh, trust me, I want to be out there just as bad as some of them wanted me to be out there. Um, but hey, you know that's kind of how it goes. I hear you. Um, let's see. Uh, Swanky says, "Iglesias, man, I had your rookie card." Now, let me ask you this, Joaquin. Is is the one that I uh, – you can't see the screen. Uh, I put up on the screen uh, a – it has to be your rookie card. Uh, yeah, it says rookie premiere. Yeah, the rookie premiere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did, how, how did you pose for this, man? You, they stretched yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, you just it, – it, it's a mat down there. They don't okay. just have us jumping out there on the grass. <laughs> and so at the height of your leap, you look at the camera and smile. That's pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you got to do that about 30 times. Yeah, so <laughs> that was a cool experience, man. That was cool. But it's stuff like that that I take away from it. It's not – you know, obviously I wanted to play and all that, but sure. um, some of the cool experiences that I got to do, I mean, going out there with some of the guys now that I was at that rookie, you know, premiere with, I mean, it was cool. I mean, in the senior bowl and guys like BJ Raji, and he ended up winning a Super Bowl, like not shortly after that. Um, so it was cool, man. You it shouldn't have brought cool. him up. Hey, um, guys, uh, <laughs> yeah, before we get you out of here, thanks so much for spending time with us. I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on the 2023 season. You know, I know predictions are a dime a dozen, but I, I would like to know what your expectations are for 2023. Give me a one-loss record and, you know, one bold prediction. You know, whether it's Justin Field being uh, Justin Fields being MVP or, or something like that. I'll start with you first, Will. Well, I'm gonna predict uh, a 12 and five season, and the bold prediction: Justin throwing for over 4,000 yards. Nice. The first quarterback be... in Chicago Bear history to throw for over 4,000 yards. I like that. I like that. What do you What do you got for me, Mr. Iglesias? Ooh, wins, losses. Uh, Joaquin, you still with me? Yes. Can you hear me? Ah, uh, did we lose him? Can no, he's here. Me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I think we lost him. No, he's well, here. He's here. I can hear. It said, it said I was muted. Oh, why can't I hear him? Can you hear me? You hear him, Dan? Yes. Can't hear I, Dan either. I, I, I'm talking. <laughs> it's the Will and Aldo show now, man. <laughs> yeah, can you hear me? Uh, Dan, leave and come back because I can't hear you at all. Something's weird. I'm here. You can't hear me? <laughs> I can hear Dan. I can hear you. I can hear Joaquin. Yeah, I can hear everybody. Yeah, I can hear everybody. Two users in stream with audio only. Okay. Let me see here. What am I doing? Oh, I know what I'm doing wrong. My bad. 
Can you hear me now, Aldo? Yes, it was my fault. I, I Before he tells us his prediction, I just want to say, oh, I wish he wouldn't have brought up B.J. Rosary, though. That that interception, <laughs> I guess Caleb Haney was in, that uh, pick six in the NFC Championship game uh, against the Packers still is like a fucking nightmare for me. It was one of the worst games of all time. Even though the Bears <laughs> lost 21-14, just, just awful. It's an atrocity. Yeah, and it's, it's a small world. Speaking of Caleb Haney, he lives – uh, pretty close to me. Well, he played well in that game. He brought us back after Cutler got hurt, but yeah, it still he, he, it's, he, just didn't go the way. Just like that's the thing about the Packers, man. That game, and then the one where we, it's like, oh, if you win, you're in. And and the Bears had the lead. Great catch by Brandon Marshall. And guess what happens? You, they blow the Randall Cobb play at the end of the game. We're 30 years we've <laughs> been getting our ass kicked by them. Yeah, so I'm that's, hoping that's that's Chris Conte uh, calling. Oh yeah, popping at the sticks when he should have been. Back covering the, the, the latter half of the field. So you know, said yeah, it will. Talk about BJ Raji, um, Caleb Haney. You know, if you look at that play, you got Devin Hester going on a crosser, but he's trying to throw it to Forte, and that's why Raji got the pick. Like I don't know. Like I, I played football too. I would have been looking for Hester on that crosser because nobody. He probably still be running the day if he would have looked at Hester on that crosser. I'm just saying. Well, we, are we going to be Green Bay opening day? I paid seven hundred dollars for two tickets. We're going to win, Absolutely. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'll be there. I'll definitely be there. And like I said, um, we're going to bring a little Texas uh, motivation. Yeah, this is about to start the the reign of terror as far as um, us dominating Green Bay. I, I just can't foresee after thirty years of Favre and Roger, um, Jordan Love picking up the baton and starting a, a new legacy. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going to go on record and say it, it's our time now. Love it. Love it. Guys, it's been a treat uh, having you on. Uh, Joaquin, next time you come on with us, we want to see your face. All the w women in the chat room are, like, clamoring that they want to see you shirtless and stuff like that. Dan, <laughs> Dan, Dan wants to see you shirtless, too. <laughs> Evidently, Lisa Lampanelli wants to see him with other shirts. <laughs> Evidently, she already did. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, look, Joaquin, you didn't tell me about that. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't, I didn't tell myself about that. <laughs> that is hilarious. I, I got one more question. It'll be 10 seconds. Do, do, you, do you keep your gear, like, after that? Do you, like, have your, your jersey and shit, like, hanging up like I would, man? Like, just have it – you know, you should still celebrate it, right? Do you still have, like, your gear from where you were at the Oh, uh, yeah. I got all types of random stuff. Um, but, <laughs> for instance, my mom just gave me all my championship rings from Oklahoma, like, a month ago that I didn't oh, know wow. she had. So, <laughs> but it's kind of all over the place. Awesome. That's wild, man. That's wild. Well, we got a lot more to talk to you about. And uh, especially this 2023 version of the Chicago bears. Uh, I'd love to have you back on job just before the season starts and we can really dig into uh, this current bears team. Well, we'll be seeing you again soon. Will's lining up uh, another guest for us very soon. And so uh, we'll have you back on with this other special guest. We won't uh, reveal the name. We like to keep people guessing around here, but again, thank you to both you, Will Wright and Joaquin Iglesias. Take care guys. Hey, thank thanks you. for having me on guys. Y'all take care. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. That was a blast, man. I'm telling you. What'd you think? You think uh, he was just being modest about Lisa Lampanelli, or he really didn't know? Maybe his wife was by him. Oh, <laughs> shit. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Fuck, what if he was married when... Oh, my God. I, I feel like an asshole now. <laughs>
like that. She's going to be like, now what the fuck was this all about? Oh, I don't know. Some crazy white bitch who said she had sex with me. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, 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 I kind of like, I was, I was nervous going into it. Not about the on-air execution, because I, I don't get nervous about that. That's my career, you know? Right. But I was nervous. So I wanted to show him the proper respect, but not seem like I was, like, kissing his ass either. But the the things I kind of asked him is, like, I always thought in my head I wanted to talk to Cade McDown for some reason. Uh, First-round pick from the Bears, as you know, quarterback from UCLA, didn't make it. And those are the kind of things I'd like to have asked him, because he had this, you know, at the time, a mindset of he was this – arrogant was an asshole not saying joaquin was mm-hmm. i'm just saying but like how would you feel about that now because your mm-hmm. career so long ago how do you feel about now versus then and what was it like to 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 have because again we're fans we don't we didn't have that dream come true but that they did but then it didn't play out the way you wanted it to either so i, ju- I really wanted to ask his mindset but also be respectful of it you know because you don't want to be like dude man some people say you suck, you know, fuck, you don't want to say stupid shit like that, you know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because it really is a fascinating career that he's had. And and I asked him that question. Does that happen to a lot of players, guys who have had great collegiate careers? And then for some reason they get drafted by a team that's not suitable for them, blah, 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 whatever the excuse. And, you know, it, it really is a shame that this guy who was such a prolific pass catcher and is getting all these glowing uh, reviews uh, from scout, uh, from analysts, experts, and clearly Greg Gabriel liked them enough to draft them in the third round. It's, uh, it's a shame that that wasn't all better constructed, you know, make sure that you you're bringing him in and you've got a plan for him, you know, and having some patience with him if he doesn't get off to a quick start. And, um, you know, back then, I think the the Chicago Bears organization was under a lot of pressure to win. Now there was a big, massive trade for Jay Cutler, of course. And so they were I think frantically looking for answers and they may have uh, acted a little too quickly when they uh, you, allowed Joaquin to leave. You would have thought that he, like Mike Martz would have looked at him and said, Oh, we can, we can play with this guy. Mm-hmm. Like, again, if he didn't fit the Ron Turner mold of trying to pound Forte and, and use Des Clark and Greg Olson. And obviously by the next year, we don't even want Greg Olson. Well, he played one, one year with Martz. But then they they ship him out because they want it to be, you know, the 99 Rams and throwing the ball all the time, which, again, is conducive to his talent. So you would Mm -hmm. assume that Mike Martz would have wanted him to stay. Yeah, exactly. Very, very bizarre. But that's been my complaint with the Chicago Bears organization for decades now is, you know, there wasn't that leadership at the top that had a a plan and it was perfectly detailed. You know, why would you bring in Mike Martz if uh, it, it, knowing he doesn't like to throw to the tight end and knowing that you've invested heavily in a pass catching tight end, Greg Olson? I don't know why you can't have both. I don't. It's like I say this in the car with my friend Jeremy at this concert. This is not me trying to be funny, but it, I think it is kind of funny. In the homosexual male world, it seems like everybody's either I'm a top, I'm a bottom, 
But like in the heterosexual world, like, dude, I love to eat pussy and I love to be blown. Why can't you be both? <laughs> well, we got to be one or the other. So having said that, why can't you throw the ball to wide receivers? And oh, by the way, we have this badass tight end named Greg Olson as well. Why can't you have both? Exactly. Like, I why mean, doesn't it have to be one or the other? You know, the the the, the Mike Martz uh, persona has taken a huge hit since he left the Rams. Uh, and you gotta, you gotta wonder, you know, was he just like a one-hit sensation? Can, you, Dan, probably can name a number of bands that had one hit, and then, sure. you know, they well, mean a couple. Martz didn't win the uh, Super Bowl as the coach. They went and lost. He won as the OC for Dick Vermeil. That's something else too. Right, and and a lot of people felt like Vermeil was useless. It was Mike Martz's offense. Like a lot of people thought, Buddy Ryan was the coach of the Bears in 85 and not Mike Ditka because it was the defense that won that Super Bowl. I disagree with all that. Vermeil's a fucking great coach. I agree with you. His passion. He won everywhere he went, whether that was Philadelphia or Kansas City, St. Louis. And I'm not sitting here bad-mouthing Buddy, but like to me, Ditka, I mean, if that's Neil Armstrong and Buddy, what did they do together? They didn't win. Mm -hmm. It's Mike Ditka and Buddy. I'm not saying Buddy shouldn't be 1B, but you know, Ditkit deserves more credit than he gets from some circles. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. You know, I mean, I've, I've bashed Ditka enough, but he got it done. You know, and what did Buddy do by himself? He didn't win one playoff game, not right. one. Right. And he had a great, great quarterback in Randall Cunningham. Right. And he didn't win one playoff game. Let me ask you this question. So it's the year after the Super Bowl. Uh, Vince Tobin is now the defensive coordinator for the Chicago the late Bears. Tobin. The late, recently deceased. And he um, delivers a defense that statistically, in many stats, was better than the 85 Bears defense. Sure. So why didn't they win? Well, the main thing there, I think, honestly, I'm not just saying this because I love McMahon. I think that cheap shot changed everything from uh, Charles Martin, but, and I, I don't hate Doug Flutie. I grew up, I, not, I grew rather to like Doug Flutie and to think he was really good, especially by his time in Buffalo. But I mean, in week two, for example, the bears are playing the Eagles, Buddy comes into soldier field. The bears didn't freak out and go sign a trade for Doug Flutie. Like they did later in the year. They played Mike Tomzak. You know, Jim McMahon got hurt in that Cleveland game in the opener. He played the majority of the game, got the win. But the next week, they just wanted to rest McMahon, and they played Mike Tomzak. So my point is, if Mike Tomzak's good enough to beat the Eagles in week two, he should have started the playoff game against Washington. Mm. So maybe they win if Tomzak plays. But your point to the defense, you remember when Tyson lost to Douglas? Mm -hmm. He comes back, he wins the championship again. But he's missing that id factor. Like, Evander's not afraid of him when he's fighting Evander. Mm-hmm. And that's why he loses. I mean, he had that aura of invincibility. And for whatever reason, the Bears' aura of invincibility seemed to leave when Buddy left mm-hmm. on defense. Even though statistically the 86 team is better than the 85 team statistically. But they had that it factor, that intangible of, oh, my God, we're playing the Bears in 85. You're going to get your fucking head knocked off. And I don't know. I think it's maybe where he doesn't blitz as much. But it just felt like the defense lost a little bit of that intimidation factor by the next season. Yeah, Do you agree with that? Point. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, 
You know, it was a more uh, robotic style of defense that Tobin ran as opposed to Buddy Ryan letting the players go wild. I mean, it was, you know, he, he opened up the gates and let these Dobermans out and um, where, where Tobin wanted things more structured and more contained. Um, both had great success, but that I think, it, go ahead. I think if Buddy's there in 86, let's say for whatever reason, Buddy's still there mm-hmm. and it's in the, in the playoff game against Washington. If, if we, because Washington had good wide receivers. We can't take anything away from Art Monk or Gary Clark or Ricky Sanders. But if they're eating our guys up mm-hmm. and we can't cover them, like Buddy's just like, all right, then, well, Jay Schrader's going to get his dick knocked on the turf all day. If we can't stop the pass playing man-to-man, we're going to come in and just knock him on the fucking ground. Mm-hmm. And the Vince Tobin defense couldn't make an adjustment. Jay Schrader had talent, don't get me wrong, but was never – the guy that was going to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's not he's not a, the, the franchise quarterback. And he mm-hmm. had the best day of his career against that defense at Soldier Field, in the lights, in the prime time, and had the game of his life, and we could do nothing about it, like a poor, pitiful giant, just st- sitting there, unable to get pressure, unable to do anything. If Buddy's there, he finds a way to hit that motherfucker. True. What do you think about what Steve says? Uh, Matt Nagy could have done what Ditka did if he had Buddy Ryan running the defense. No. Matt Nagy's like too fucking... Like to me, Nagy just wants all the credit and is trying to be smarter than everybody and coming up with the way he would play Madden. What plays would he call on Madden? And it doesn't translate to real life. And I honestly believe, although Ditka did the commercials and stuff, you know, do you really think if 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 you if they won the Super Bowl and Ditka didn't get an enormous amount of credit that honestly when he went to bed that night he would have cared, he would have just been happy to win, I think. Now I know he's got a persona on TV uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, with Johnny Morris and and with commercials, the Iron Mike thing. But at the end of the day, if Mike wins, I think Mike's happy. Nagy wants to win because of Nagy. Like, let's just say Andy Reid resigned after next season. He just says, I've had enough. I've won a couple Super Bowls. I want to I want to fuck my wife. You know, whatever. Uh, but Andy Reid or uh, Matt Nagy, if he takes over, he wants people to think he's the reason Mahomes is having success. Mm-hmm. It's He's not going to be happy with winning because Mahomes is great. He wants to say he's making Mahomes better. And I, I think that's that will hold that team down. His, mm. He's got a huge ego, and I don't know why. What do you think about what Steve says here? Rex Ryan would have made a great Bears coach, son of Buddy, and he had a foot fetish like most of us here. <laughs> by the way, by the way, where's Heidi? <laughs> well done, Steve. You know, David Kaplan uh, wanted Re- uh, Rex a few years ago. He was yes, pounding he the desk for it. I Rex had weird veneers to me, like his teeth were too white or something. <laughs> but yeah, beyond that, weird. yeah, obviously I'm kidding. But yeah, I mean. Rex, maybe if he did get the break, maybe he did have that sort of persona and attitude that the Bears fans would have loved if if he won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. What Kaplan about the other one with the long hair? The the other brother. Oh, uh, yeah. He there was some controversy with him, and uh, I think he's been blackballed. I don't think he's allowed. I'm just saying we'd love the long haired fucker too. I don't remember his name though. <laughs> Both of them had great personalities. It was, exactly. It was, Rex and, and Ron, wasn't it Ron Ryan? 
I can't remember his name. I see him in my head. It seems like he got into an argument once when he was the coordinator with Cutler on the field, actually. I think he was oh. at the Rams, maybe? As the coordinator, and, and Jay basically told him to go fuck himself. He didn't give a shit who he was, you know, because that's Cutler. <laughs> it's it's Rob Ryan. Rob Ryan, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Did he get into an argument with Cutler? I think so. I think Jay was just like, I don't give a fuck who you are, man. Fuck <laughs> <you>. <laughs> don't care. Don't care. I wish I had Jay's perception toward people because he literally doesn't care. You can say like, oh, Cutler, you suck. You this, that. And the other. He doesn't give a fuck. McMahon was the same way. He doesn't care. Like, you remember when we had McMahon on the show and I was like, man, does it, does it bother you that Dan Hampton has just been talking shit for 30 years? I love Hampton. I love you. Why can't you guys have great personality? Why can't you be friends? He's like, I don't give a shit what he says. And like, he really doesn't. <laughs> I wish good. I could be the same way. Yeah, you need you need to change your persona. Nah, everybody loves you the way you are. And even even retro does. <laughs> Although retro's giving you shit saying, you know, you weren't playing the bro when, when Joaquin was here. It's a bro. <laughs> you What's know, like a bro is somebody who, who takes care of you and doesn't give away anything that would make your wife or girlfriend suspicious. Oh, because I didn't yeah, I shouldn't have I should have asked him before we got on camera if it was an okay question. <laughs> Let's see if I can find one. Uh, Retro's dad, do you feel like an arsehole now? <laughs> if it creates tension with his wife, then certainly. Oh my gosh, could you imagine if 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 Joaquin was married when Lisa Lampanelli was oh, saying that? God. That would be. Let's see on TMZ in a month. <laughs> Former Bears receiver going to court. Over a podcast interview for divorce. Oh no, that would be awful. <laughs> he seems like a super guy. Yeah. Uh, all right. He seems uh, honest, honest with all of his answers too. Oh really? Absolutely. I mean, geez, I, that, talk about doing a documentary. I, and like that story he said, he was like, "Well, if you're only going to play me one week, then what's the fucking point?" Yeah. I'll go to Minnesota and try to play there then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, great honesty. Right? Can you think of another player like that that the Bears acquired, whether via draft or free agency, and you had high expectations because of the reputation they came in with, and they they Are we let about you a young down. guy or a veteran? Uh, let let's let's keep it to a young guy, hmm. or or a veteran. I don't care. A veteran, it, definitely. I think of. Uh, like Jared Allen, because just like a year before, he had like 22 sacks in Minnesota and didn't do anything here. Yeah. And again, Peppers was great in Green Bay and great in Carolina and lackluster, like okay with the Bears, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just like, God, like why why couldn't we implement him, make him great, you know? I mean, there's been numerous people over this. Uh, how about that string of running backs we'd signed to compliment Forte, whether it was Michael Bush or Chester Taylor, or Marion Barber. Now, I know Marion Barber's dead now. I'm not trying to besmirch a dead guy. but And he had that moment against the Bar the Broncos. But when he was at Dallas, he was a fucking force running the ball. But none of those guys lived up to any of their previous – like Michael Bush was great with the Raiders and great in Louisville. By the time mm -hmm. he got with the Bears, like it was just like, well, he forgot how to play or something. You know, like mm -hmm. he suddenly can't – yeah, so a lot of those were – Chester Taylor, he scored a touchdown – in the playoffs against Seattle for us, but he was really good in Minnesota, but we yeah. didn't utilize any of those guys. Right. 
Mm-hmm. What was your level of uh, disappointment with Adam Shaheen? Oh, God. I don't know if I had high expectations for him anyway, but yeah, I, I don't like throwing around the term bust when we're talking about people and their their family, their their livelihood, their feelings, because it's such a it's such a word that you use that's so negative. It's like almost like pedophile. It's like you're a bust. But Adam Shaheen was a bust. I hate to say it. he was fucking awful. Every time he caught a pass, he got hurt. He mm-hmm. got hurt catching a touchdown from Mitch in Cincinnati and was like out for the year after that. He caught a touchdown and somehow fucked up his pet catching the ball and was out the rest of the year. Wow. Crazy. Always hurt. How about Kevin White? Kevin White is the poster boy of that. You know, the the guy comes high expectations at West Virginia. He's the guy just to run deep and he's going to catch touchdowns. Mm -hmm. And he basically only had one big catch the whole time. It was against New England. Last play of the game, Mitch throws a Hail Mary. We're down seven, and he mm-hmm. catches it and comes a half yard short of tying the game. But ev- after that, poor Kevin White's hurt every year. Every year there's a new injury. Awful. Yeah, so that's the one I think that stands out the most. Or even Cade McNown, like we mentioned earlier. Ugh, Cade McNown. Because Cade did okay in 99 when they brought him in in spot play. You know, and by 2000, I don't know if you remember this, the day the Bears lost to San Francisco in 2000, it was Jerry Rice's last home game as a Niner, and T.O. had 20 catches against us. Ugh. That day, the Bears didn't cross midfield. And the next week, the Bears went to Dick Duran reportedly as a team and said, you cannot play Cade McDowell. He can't start. Mm-hmm. We, we fucking demand Shane Matthews plays. Cade McDowell cannot play. As a team, went and demanded that Cade not start. When again, when have you ever heard a story like that? When even if it's a nondescript Week 17 game where the team was like, "Bro, he can't play." Maybe when Akeem Hicks finally said that Mike Glennon can't play, mm-hmm. he, he yeah. admitted that on on camera. Like this guy can't play. He's just. I mean, that's the only other time I can think. He's and he pushes him on the sideline. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Steven says I was cringing during asking uh, about fucking Lisa Lampanelli. He probably gang banged her in the whole offensive line, but, but you guys kept pushing. No, 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 no. She only likes black gentlemen. At least that's her stick. She always says that. She she wants to be edgy somehow by <laughs> mentioning she likes to have biracial sex. I I don't know why that's so controversial. Yeah, here's the. Here is a picture of her. Now, she's lost a massive amount of weight. Uh, I think it started three years ago. She did that surgery and stuff. But back when she was making those kinds of jokes, this is what she looked like. She was a heavy, big woman. And I'll never forget in one of those Comedy Central roasts, somebody said, uh, yeah, Lisa Lapinelli, all you got to do if you want to fuck her in the ass is throw a sandwich on the floor. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, that's the kind of humor uh, that uh, I particularly like. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's terrible. (laughs) All right. We are... uh, 
about 10, 15 minutes away from uh, Jack Silverstein joining us. He, I hope he, he didn't hear what we were just talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he said he'd, he'd, he'd join us as uh, soon as the kids fall asleep. And so I hope he hasn't been listening in. <laughs> He's like, ah, they were talking about sodomizing a woman in a sandwich. I, I think I'm skipping this interview. <laughs> Yes, I thought we were talking about Mongo. That... <laughs> <laughs> Cliff says, large women try harder. They, they give great sex. Um, it, it, have you found that to be true, Dan? Or I mean, the, the, there's so much that goes into it, whether the woman's, I don't care if the woman's a size zero or size 20, man. I mean, I like women. So uh, it's like breast. I like A cups. And like, how big are those again? I like them all. So. Mm-hmm. But it just depends on chemistry. You might be with a, a, a double zero size lady and have no chemistry and her ass bone just keeps hitting you and hurts you. Mm-hmm. But you might be with a lady that's a size 20 and think, God, this is the hottest shit I've ever been with. So, I mean, there's no way to answer that. I'm, I'm totally, totally with you. It's it's more about chemistry than looks. You know, I, and, and somebody can have a certain type, but then they meet somebody and you're just hitting it off. And there's this aura and this is sexual energy and end up being married, you know, for 30, 40 years. So, yeah, you, or you could be one of the people that get married and sadly don't have sex for 30 or 40 years. <laughs> That's right. Wow. <laughs> you remember Dwayne Bates? Yeah, of course. A lot of people bring... A lot of people bringing uh, him up. It says the only difference is uh, Bates went to Minnesota and got to shine next to Randy Moss. He uh, caught a touchdown from Jim Miller, I remember, against the Lions mm-hmm. in week 16 of 01. It was right wow. before we beat Jacksonville. Yeah, he Jeez. caught a touchdown in that game in the Silverdome. Yeah. Cliff says, beautiful women seem to think, what are you going to do for me? I'm beautiful. Uh, you find that to be true, uh, Dan? I, I think, especially with younger women, there's a little bit more entitlement. Mm-hmm. But grown-ass, mature women, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there there, there are certain people. There are guys that are that way, too. Good-looking guys who think their shit doesn't stink, you know, and, and you know, they're, they're God's gift to women. Get the fuck out of here. And there are some women who think, you know, that they're God's gift to men. Get the fuck out of here. Um, so fortunately, I have never run into a woman who felt that way um, because I'm, they, I repulse all of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what else is going on in news? You know, there was something that I wanted to bring up regarding sports media. And I forgot to pull it. Darn it, darn it, darn it, darn it, darn it. We talked about all the uh, departures over at ESPN, right? Yeah, yeah. We talked about that last week. Okay. Uh, I wonder if they've decided if WGN is going to bring Obradovich and Hampton back this year. Has that been announced yet? No, there's been no announcement on that. But uh, apparently uh, Steve uh, uh, Skip Bayless is actively pursuing uh, a co-host for the replacement of Shannon Sharp. You heard that Shannon Sharp has left, yeah, yeah, left that left. talk show. Yeah, so I, I'm trying to remember who he publicly went after t- to try to get as a co-host. I think it was somebody from yesteryear, but I got to think that it's probably going to be somebody who has just left ESPN. Well, like Keyshawn or something? Yeah, like Keyshawn. Don't you think Keyshawn would make a, a great uh, you know, uh, debate partner? 
I don't, again, it's almost like we were talking about fucking. I mean, it just, it depends on the chemistry yeah. of the two. Uh, it's just like, why did Shannon Sharp fail in the studio mm -hmm. uh, when he worked for CBS? Because he's such a great talker, like a shit talker when he was a player and stuff. You think, oh, he's going to be great in the studio. But he kind of sucked on CBS, but he shined with, with Skip Bayless. Yeah. So it's just, it just, it's almost like what we were saying with Joaquin, like, you got to be in the right system, the right time, the right coach, the right place. It's it, a lot of luck. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, it, it's it's hard to even because you look everybody's talented. Like you said, everybody's got skill. Nobody's right. there that just sucks. Though so even the, as fans, we we think they suck. Right. Like uh, I'm sure I've said numerous times on here. Oh, Valus Jones, bust. He sucks. Oh, Dante Pettis. He sucks. Oh no, no, he's got to go. But. You know, compared to remember a few years ago, it was an NBA. I forget who it was. One of the eleventh men on the NBA, like the Bulls bench or something, played. Got they got into an argument, and the dude schooled like some guys that were supposed to be good at the park. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? It was somebody. No. that was like a white guy on the bench, like the eleventh man, who everybody was saying was was so bad and stuff. And these guys that were great at the park that weren't professionals, like he went out and schooled their fucking asses. And they were supposed to be like these park legends, and he just like humiliated all of them. It was like 2010, 2011. I forget who it was now. Yeah, I don't remember that. But the point is, the worst guy. Oh, in the wait, NBA wait a minute. Englewood uh, says uh, Scalabrini. Yeah, maybe. It's yeah. like the worst guy on the NBA bench is still better than anybody you can play with. You know, yeah. it's better than anybody you think you, you know at the park. I would, I would hope so. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I have played against some good Sandlot players back in the day, but nobody who could approach NBA level. I played with guys who, you know, played a little college ball and, and stuff. But yeah, there's a huge difference. These guys who play professional basketball, as you know, Dan, they're the speed. Even the big guys who are who you move slow, move a lot faster than I do. <laughs> That's for sure. Right gosh were you a basketball player you got the height no i mean i played you know i was decent enough to to fuck around at, at school and things like that but mm -hmm. i didn't i never had lateral movement side to side enough to be any good at defense i was just your typical big guy that could you know oh he's open he can hit the jump shot or whatever <laughs> i could i could i feel like i could go to the free throw line and at least go 80 percent for sure uh but nobody's guarding me you know what I mean? Like, you, I'm not going to do anything at the double team. I'm not a larger one. <laughs> could you? Uh, could you dunk? Not, not to where if I dunked, it didn't look impressive. No. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I, I barely got it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, okay, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've dunked many many times in my dreams uh, and, and i'm serious about that i i will sometimes go to bed thinking that i'm an nba star and i'm playing you know like michael jordan type basketball it helps me relax and and i i have all these sports fantasies that i'm a great wide receiver and i'm catching touchdown passes you know and uh, i play out all these scenarios and you know before the game is over i'm dead asleep you ever you ever do that am i am i alone in that world no, I never, never really did that. But I honestly view myself as being, in terms of basketball, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not, I was not tough enough to just get hit over and over and over and over. Uh, he he mentions Lambeer. Like, yeah, I, I might better just 
pop up and hit because Bill Bill was a good shot, uh, yeah, good three point shooter. Yeah, I mean, I'm no, I'm, I'm not Bill and Beer by any stretch, but I'm just saying. But I couldn't play roughhouse like Bill either. Mm-hmm. I'm not dirt. I mean, I can't play dirty like that. I don't want to hurt anybody. And, and I'm not saying he's trying to hurt people, but he's trying to intimidate. That's not who I am. Mm-hmm. So I can't fit that mold. I, I would have been more of like a Tom Waddle type, like in the sense that I can catch and then I can take your shot too. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to hit you really hard. Like I, again, I played both sides, but I was way more effective on offense than defense mm-hmm. because defense, I guess, I felt like it was a waste. Last game I ever played, it had three sacks, and I hated all three of them. Like God, I have to fucking go do the work, I guess. <laughs> like, whereas the championship game we lost, and and like I just felt like defense was. I was tired on defense all the time. Mm-hmm. Offense, I feel like I could catch a ball and get my, get my ass like my head knocked off and still get up and be okay. But if I hit you, then I'm fucking tired for five minutes. Mm. Baseball was your game, right? Right, Phil? I was, yeah, I was decent, decent at baseball, but I, I quit when my dad died. Like, I played mm. like two games after my dad died, and I regretted that in hindsight, but not at the time. Mm-hmm. I understood at the time. I still think at the time it was kind of the right move to make. But, again, I would I would have been a high school player. I wouldn't have been professional. I'm not that good. But I was an all-star in, like, Little League and shit like that. But I could have played high school ball. Mm. I couldn't have made it, you know, past that. I mean, I was okay. Mm-hmm. For for a little kid, I was I was good, I guess. Well, while we wait for Jack to join us, I just want to remind everyone that the uh, Raging Mouth, the Mike North story, is now downloading episode one. Do- downloaded on Monday. Last week we did the preview episode, of a eleven minute preview episode that Dan uh, voiced with his great pipes before he turned horse on us. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, <laughs> and. Uh, the reaction to that preview was outstanding, and then episode one is getting uh, acclaim two. Episode two drops next Monday, and that's where Mike is going to talk about when he met his wife, Bibi, and talks about uh, going into the service, talks about uh, building a hot dog business that was really well-known uh, in the northwest side of Chicago, and then that fateful moment when he met executives over at the score sports radio and told them instead of, because they the owner there, uh, a guy named Don Lee was opening up another music radio station and might beg them, please don't do that. Open up an all sports talk radio station. And so he's going to share that story and that episode drops next Monday. So be on the lookout for that raging, my, excuse me, raging mouth. The Mike. Yeah, Mike. Mike's uh, persona, which I'm not saying was a put on, but mm-hmm. his persona, just his willingness to to get in the ring, so to speak, and fight and argue. Like mm-hmm. again, I don't want to do that. Like I'm so like almost in awe of that. Like I don't want to be contentious. Mm-hmm. So when I hear Mike going at him, like man, that that that's the reason he got paid well because he could do that without any conscience and just fuck uh, you, man. Mike loves to trash talk. By the way, we got our guest is here. Let's uh, bring him in. His name is Jack. Well, let me see here. Let me do it that way. There he is. Jack, what's up, brother? Hi, Aldo. How are you? I'm doing well. And say hi to Dan Aguirre. Dan is joining us via phone studio. Uh, We can't see his face moving, but uh, we've got that lovely picture of him up on the screen. Say hi to Dan. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm well, sir. Good to meet you. I'm sorry. I'm hoarse from a metal festival over the weekend. That's all right. That's all right. Dan was actually uh, being, uh, uh, he had people, what is it called when you're, they're surfing? 
Crowd serving the my I just took a beating during Lamb of God, man. I just got my ass like it was so many people there, like you couldn't even move your I mean, I've been a hundred thousand mosh pits, but this one was just you couldn't even raise your arms and you're getting hit from like four different areas. I got put it this way, I got kicked in the nose at one point. I thought my nose was broken. One of the crowd surfers fell on my neck that was in the air, literally fell on my neck. So I'm like, God damn, I'm taking a beating. Plus, I'm protecting women that are with me too. So anyway. It, it was a tough world. weekend, but a good weekend. <laughs> How's your weekend, Jack? All's all's well. All's well. Just uh, nothing, nothing to report. <laughs> Jack Silverstein, did I pronounce that correctly? <laughs> yes, you did. Good. I I don't want to bastardize your name. That's uh, okay. Is very well known among Chicago sports fans for his reporting on uh, uh, sports history. Uh, you're working on a book about the Chicago Bulls, right? I am slowly but surely. Six yeah. rings. Six rings. Wow! I can't wait. What, what, what can you tell? Can us? I ask him a question right off? I want to ask him Please. a question. As a Bulls, okay. In in your opinion, as the yeah. Bulls, the story, and then do you think the Bulls still win championships if they don't trade for Bill Cartwright? Because I always thought Charles Oakley was a man. I mean, that's a guy that I think the Bulls would have been better if they'd have kept Oakley. No one agrees with me, but I always thought that. No, I, I think that's too far down the rabbit hole because then what do you do with, with Horace? Yeah, well, you yeah, watch him go to Orlando and beat you at the United Center and get carried well, off the court. What I'm saying is if you I know what you're keep, saying. I'm just being Yeah, you keep Oakley. So, no, I've, I've never thought that. I think it played out perfectly, and um, uh, I don't. I, Bill Cartwright was very important to that team, to the interior defense, to the leadership, the toughness. He was uh, one of the few people, he and Craig Hodges, were probably the two guys who stood up to MJ the most in practice. And I think that his, the, you know, the rest of the players needed to see that. Um, he was someone who could defend. I mean, you don't, I don't think you need me to tell you about Bill Cartwright, but no, my opinion is no, we needed that team set up the way it was set up. Okay. Well, I'll rephrase my question. If they don't make the trade, can they still win the title with Oakley? Yeah, but I don't think that they win six. I think that sure. team, I think it was really two teams. And I think both of those teams were, designed perfectly and that's why they were able to maximize and win three i think if you have some other number two or more standard number two instead of pippen i does mj still win a championship yeah absolutely does he win six no i don't think so fair point very fair so uh we've asked jack to come in and talk to us about steve uh, mcmichael who is uh Ben is, is now a semifinalist for the 2024 NFL Hall of Fame and also a Virginia McCaskey as well. But let's talk about Steve first. And uh, Jack, do you uh, you clearly agree that he should, belongs in the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, I was not a big Steve McMichael in the Hall guy until there was a lot of conversation around it last, probably starting last um, last spring. And I started taking a look at just the numbers and the numbers stacked up really well. So then I started to watch a little bit, you know, some of his greatest hits and certain, you know, just watch turn on like a game from 85, 86, 87, 88 was a big year for Steve McMichael and started watching some of those and just seeing the work that he was doing um, on the interior, seeing the way that he was helping, you know, create lanes for Hamp and for Dent and for, for Singletary. And, seeing what his peers and what his teammates said about him. Mm-hmm. So I started looking more at that and I, I, I became, I became much more of a believer 
from from that. And his his numbers are incredible. When he retired, he was first all time among defensive tackles um, within sacks with ninety five sacks. Uh, he's now lower in part because guys after John Randall, Aaron Donald have come, and also because they expanded the sack totals. And so he ended up with some guys jumping up ahead. But he's still, I, I think he's I think he's eighth among yeah eighth behind seven Hall of Famers uh, in sacks, and that's just one part of his case. Although he is clearly one of the greatest interior sack masters that the game has ever seen, he was one of the best defensive tackles in 1985. He was clearly one of the best players on the 85 Bears. I did a poll. Um, last year while I was doing this research and because Twitter only allows you to have four options, I said, removing Mike Singletary, um, who was the best defender on the 85 Bears? And the choices were Dent, Hampton, McMichael, and Wilbur Marshall. And I figured that's a safe way to do it. You don't want to put Singletary in there and then have all, you know, have 90% of the votes are all the Singletary and you've kind of wasted everyone's enthusiasm for your poll question. Mm-hmm. So I, I, So I put it in that way. And of course, so many people responded. What do you mean, Singletary? Singletary wasn't Singletary wasn't the best player on that defense. And some people picked Dent. Some people picked McMichael. Some people, a lot of people picked Wilbur Marshall. Um, Hub Arkish responded and said that he thought Singletary among those five, in other words, Singletary and the four that were on the list, mm-hmm. he said he thought Singletary was fifth of those five. Wow. Can I interject on that just a second, though? And I, I can't say Hub Arkish knows less than me or more than me. He knows more than me, okay? I'm just a fan. But it seems like it's it's a trend now since Singletary had a bad stint with San Francisco as a coach and pulled his pants down at the presser. It seems like a lot of people take gratuitous shots at Mike now because he failed as a coach, which is not fair. This guy's Defensive Player of the Year in 88. People forget shit like that. And like, in 85. Yeah, people forget how good he was. And, like, he's an undersized middle linebacker who played on heart more so than talent. I think Mike's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and people sort of shit on his legacy now. But to answer your question, as much as I love Mongo, and I've been pounding the Mongo in the Hall of Fame for years before he got sick. Yeah. and now I'm afraid he's going to die before he gets in now, which is tragic. But it's hard for me to see that and not say Dan Hampton. When the guys could it be Hall of Famer inside or outside, like Hampton is, is is great. I think that's the answer, in my opinion. I love everybody on that list. Sure, but Dan Hampton's tough, man. Dan Hampton's a man. So is Mongo, though. Yeah, you know, I was I was only four. I only turned four in uh, November of '85. So I was watching the Bears. I, I was, you know, we watched. Obviously, we watched the Bears every Sunday. I, I knew some players, and to the degree that I knew Steve McMichael at four years old, I just knew. Mongo, big guy, fun, and all this. You know, I wasn't watching the game with any sense of what I was seeing other than, you know, it's good when Walter Payton runs far. It's good when we knock the quarterback down, those sorts of things. So certainly if I was around at the time, I might have a I might have a more immediate reaction. I hear what you're saying, Dan. I think it's true that there might be a little bit of a backlash. And it's also hip to be able to say, Singletary, that's not the guy, you know, let me tell you. Um, I, I, which isn't to say that the people who responded weren't telling the truth, but they might have been like more geared up 
to say that as opposed to the people who would have just voted for Singletary and not thought anything of it. So I, I hear what you're saying. I think the point to me, or one of the points, is that the 85 Bears get talked about as an underachiever because the 85 Bears, because the Bears on a whole were an underachiever, but the defense on a whole was dominant for an extended stretch of time. And there are people who will say, well, you know, you've got Singletary in the Hall of Fame, Hampton's in the Hall of Fame, Dent's in the Hall of Fame. Why do you need four players? Well, why do we need four members of the 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers? They weren't a better. They weren't. They weren't a better. They weren't a. They weren't a better defense. And now some of those guys, Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp, are going into the Hall of Fame even if they lose that Super Bowl and and never win, never win a ring. Those guys are clear cut. They're going in the Hall of Fame. But I don't think that both John Lynch and Rondé Barber are unless they win. Now, I do think Singletary is going in the hall. I think Hampton's going in the hall. And I think Richard Dent is going in the hall. I think all those guys are going in, even if we don't win. Maybe John Lynch would. I don't think Rondé Barber would. So where's our ring bump? Where's where's that ring bump for I gotta Steve, tell you, Steve Wilbur McMichael probably, or, Wilbur, or Wilbur Marshall? Yeah, Wilbur, statistically, like you mentioned, Derek Brooks. <clears> or, there's so many guys, his stats – or even though he's from a different era, his statistics exceed there. So Wilbur probably deserves to make it. At the time when he went to Washington, he was the highest paid defensive player in the history of the game. Yeah. And in Washington, when they won Super Bowl 26, their defensive coordinator, Richard Pettibone, who of course, an all time great bear. bear right? Yeah. Um, Richard Pettibone was talking about how Wilbur Marshall is the most important player on that defense. And that's, that's a defense with Daryl Green. I Charles think Mann. And Charles Mann, I think a, a trend that we're that we're going to see now, and that we that we've been seeing in the senior committee, is that you know there there really is no perfect senior candidate. They you get to the senior pool because there's some sort of imperfection in your resume. Now, for example, I've been pushing Sterling Sharp. I think it's ridiculous that Sterling Sharp did not even ever make it to the semis as a modern era candidate. I think it's ridiculous that Sterling Sharp is still not in. I think that if Sterling Sharp had played two more seasons, you're not just talking about a Hall of Famer, you're talking about a first ballot, you know, he's gonna finish top five or top 10 in all major categories. As it stands, Sterling Sharp in his career was behind only Jerry Rice in AP uh, first team all pro selections. Jerry Rice had five, um, Sterling had three, and no one else had two. Everyone else was at one. So Sterling Sharp was clearly that one A, and at times you could, you could call him the one over Jerry Rice. But obviously, he had the fluky neck injury. He's got the shorter career. You've got Randy Gratishar, who I think is going to get it this year. At the time, it was viewed as a shorter career because only 10 years. So everybody who is in the senior pool is going to have some element of their resume that isn't perfect. And one of the things that's going to get them over and something that we're seeing now is fan base support and writer support. You know, whoever the voter is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, that's a representative of that organization. For the Bears, it's Dan Pompey. And I do think that something that we're seeing is that the players who have a strong single team uh, association are going to outperform in the senior pool the players who don't. So Wilbur Marshall, who is split between two teams, doesn't really have a single fan base 
who's really pushing him. Um, another one that came up last year, Lamar Parrish, the old corner for Cincinnati, who then went to Washington. There are a lot of people who think Lamar Parrish was better than Ken Riley. Ken Riley had two things going for him. Number one, he was fifth all time in career interceptions, a big fat number that you can't, it's very easy like to understand. He played 15 years with one team too. So, And he played his entire career in Cincinnati. So you had all these Bengals fans who were pushing Ken Riley and no one's pushing Lamar Parrish. I think we saw the same thing last year with Joe Klecko. There's an argument to be made that Mark Gastineau was a was a, a better player. Some people will argue that Mark Gastineau was a better player than Joe Klecko, but Joe Klecko was, uh, was more liked. He got that Jets push. So I really do think that one of the key factors that's going to distinguish candidates in the senior pool is going to be that fan base that's behind you, and that's going to be a problem for Wilbur Marshall, but it's going to be a benefit for Steve McMichael. I agree with you, the reference to Sterling Sharp, because he's there from 89 to 94. And, you know, like you say, he had a neck injury, but he's a Packer and he was a great player. Ironically, as I sub-reference and come back to my point, Mike Holmgren said that the Packers probably don't win a Super Bowl. Ironically, if Sterling doesn't get hurt because it made Favre such a better quarterback, having to spread the ball around. That is absolute nonsense. That's what Mike Holmgren said. He said it made him... Oh. Having to oh, hit Robert gosh. Brooks and, and other players like that oh, because he zeroed me. in. Well, he's saying oh, that far through too break. many interceptions trying to force the I'm not saying Sterling doesn't deserve it, that, but I, it's ironic. Far through interceptions his entire career. The final, the final. I was most- agreeing with you on Sterling, though. I'm saying, like, you, you say he's from 89 to 94. He didn't play long enough. But on the flip side, Terrell Davis, Terrell Davis was really good in 95 <clears> through 98. And then he was hurt the rest of his career, and they still put him in. Yeah. So, so uh, and Sterling started, excelled more than Terrell Davis, is what I'm saying uh, in terms of longevity. Definitely. No, I wasn't disagreeing with you, Dan. I was disagreeing with Mike Holmgren. Um, oh. I mean, as as far as Sterling Sharp, so Sterling Sharp was in the '88 draft, and Michael Irvin was in that draft. And Tim oh, that's my bad. I said '89. You're right. Oh, that's bad. okay. All, all three of them were in the first round through the end of 1994, which was Sterling Sharp's final year, and then we'll get back to McMichael. But through the end of 94, Sterling Sharp had 595 receptions. Michael Irvin was second with 416. Sterling Sharp had 8,000, let's call it 8,100 yards. Michael Irvin was second with 6,900. Sterling Sharp had 65 touchdowns. Michael Irvin was second with 40. Michael Irvin played until 1999. He never passed Sterling Sharp in touchdowns. Sterling and Sharp. Sterling Sharp had Don Mikowski early yeah. on and yeah. Randy Wright. So it's not like – I mean, he did have far for three years, but right. still he had some scrub quarterbacks early on. Absolutely. Um, Michael Irvin and Tim Brown didn't pass uh, Sterling Sharp in receptions until 1997. They didn't pass him in yards until Irvin, 95, Brown, and 97. Brown passed him in touchdowns in 98. Irvin never passed him. Neither of them came close to his first-team All-Pros. Neither of them came close to the number of times that he won a triple crown receiving category. Neither of them came close to the times that he finished top five in a triple crown receiving category. They're starting to put in guys who have had shorter careers. So you mentioned Terrell Davis, Tony Baselli, Kenny Easley. So we, we, we are seeing it. And I think that Sterling Sharp is, I, I'll, be, I'll be surprised if Sterling Sharp's not in this year. I'll be surprised if Randy Gratishar is not in this year. And I led a, an open letter to the senior committee that published uh, yesterday at the Talk of Fame 2, 
website, which is run by Clark Judge, who's a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter, and John Turney, who is a, um, a heavy-duty researcher and historian. John Turney was one of the two researchers who are the reason why sack, uh, sack totals now go back to 1960 instead of 1982. And we wrote a letter arguing that last year they had uh, Klecko, Ken Riley, and Chuck Howley, but they also announced that Gratishar, Sterling Sharp, and Bob Kuchenberg came in four through six. In other words, they were the, the three runners up. And we wrote an open letter, I wrote an open letter signed by 11 other historians saying that the senior committee should simply vote in those four through six guys and they should really spend their meeting talking about the next four through six who would be the class of 2025. And that's where we come back to Steve McMichael. Is Steve McMichael gonna get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year? The odds are low. The fact that he is on this list of 25, or it's really 31 because of ties, but the fact that he made it onto the semifinal list is huge. And if he doesn't get into the final 12, it doesn't mean anything just yet. He does get into the final 12. That means there is a huge, huge push that people are really listening. They're listening. And I know that Dan, I know that Dan is pushing hard for Steve. If, if, uh, if Dan Pompey, Dan Pompey, and so, me for them. So, and Dan, and Dan Aguirre. <laughs> so of the, um, of the 12 finalists, senior finalists from last year, obviously three were elected to the Hall of Fame. Three of them are Gratishar, Sharp, Kuchenberg. And so then there's, six others, which means that there's three open slots. For Steve McMichael to jump into those three, one of those three open slots, that would be enormous. Um, well, the reason that I wrote this letter is because I think that there needs to be more consistency in the senior pool in order to help these older NFL legends get their moment in the sun a little bit earlier. So last year, the Pro Football Hall of Fame voted to expand the senior class from either one to two a year up to um, three as a max, but they're, they're going to do three, and it, and it goes for the next three years. And what I said last year was, well, they should just vote for all nine and announce all nine and just get elected over three years. You know, we all saw the, the heartbreaking video of Drew Pearson learning that he was once again not elected. Now, thankfully, he, he, he since has been. But we all saw that there. There are so many quotes of Randy Gratishar saying that you know he he's so upset that he didn't get in, tears streaming down his face. And we know that <clears throat> so many of the seniors have died before they've been elected. Of the past, let's see what it is. Of the past, could I reference two for you real quick? Yeah, sure. Uh, John Madden was always talking about how he was consoling. I mean, this wasn't like we didn't see the conversation, but he referenced talking to Cliff Branch. Yeah. He's like, you know, Cliff, you're going to make it. you got to be patient. And then, of course, Cliff makes it, and so does Stabler, but they're both dead by the time they get in. Like yep. you said, if Mongo doesn't make it this year, and like you said, the odds are long for him to do so, he probably won't be here right. the next time that he would be in 25, for instance. But in the same regard, I don't want people to think that it's a sympathy thing because, like you said, his statistics speak for themselves. It has nothing to do with ALS. And other than we would like to see him get the acknowledgement before he passes on. Yeah, and it and it may have been some of that conversation, I think certainly was kickstarted by ALS, but at the same time, I think that if I think that if Steve had a different personality, I mean we wouldn't love him the way that we did. We would, because we love Dan Hampton and, and you know, he's straight laced. Sure. Um, 
But the flip side of Steve McMichael's personality and everything that we love about him is that at times it overshadowed his play. And he might have had more all pro selections if people were thinking more about what he was doing on the field and less about his personality and his snake collection and, you know, whatever else. The three seasons where he had the highest sack totals of his career, he wasn't all pro. And I don't know why that is. I, I don't know if it's because they didn't, people maybe didn't think that defensive tackles, that maybe sacks don't matter as much. I, I, I don't know. But Steve McMichael outsacked the AP all-pro defensive tackles for 11 years, 1983 to 1993. If you take all of the, all of the defensive tackles who were named to the all-pro team for the Associated Press, and you add up all of their sacks, and then you divide by seasons and players, Steve McMichael averaged more sacks than that. Great statistic. Um, we, we were mentioning, we were mentioning the, the guys who have passed away. Ten of the most recent 22 seniors who have been elected were elected posthumously. So if they were to put, if they were to do what we suggested in this letter, then if they were able to push McMichael into that four through six, yeah, he might pass away before he's inducted, but he would be de facto inducted and he would be able to celebrate with his family. Right. And that was part of the, part of the reason why we put that together. So what are the odds of that becoming or being implemented, what you were just uh, advocating? Well, we have to see what happens with the we have to see what happens with the twelve in terms of in terms of Mago. You know, it, there's only twelve members of the senior committee. So, and and the full committee, the full body of fifty voters, they're probably going to just vote for whoever the senior committee sends them. I, you know, having they 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 spent all that time the past few years pushing to expand the classes. If they were to then turn around and reject someone from the committee who they sent over, if they last year had voted against Ken Riley, for example, or voted against Joe Klecko, I don't think that would have been a very good look and probably would not have shown a lot of faith in their, um, in their colleagues because the 12 people who are on the senior committee are on the, the overall committee. So Dan Pompey votes for the modern era, but he's also on the senior committee. And then there are other committees, you know, for the coach contributor. That means that there are fewer people you have to um, have to talk to. I haven't talked to Dan about this letter. I so I'll I, I don't know if he's read it. Um, I'll probably check in with him and and see if he has and get his take on what the idea is. Now, <clears throat> I know that there are certain there are certain voters who are going to try to push for their guys and. So, you know, you never, you never know, but certainly is Steve McMichael going to go in this year? No, I would say, I would say not. Even if I hadn't written this letter, I still don't think he would because you're talking about someone who would have been jumping from not nominated to the final three. That's, that's going to be hard to do. And I say that because there's a lot of conversation that has to be had. People have to get really familiar with these cases and, um, the degree to which all the voters are familiar with all the senior cases is um, to be just determined. But and you mentioned Kuchenberg. I mean, he's the the one dolphin that that goes from Super Bowl seven through Marino's nineteen Super Bowls. So it's just like, yeah, he's got to be it. Yeah, Kuchenberg's a weird case where he was a semifinalist, I think, eight times, and maybe a finalist four times. 
and couldn't and couldn't get in. Lester Hayes is someone who has been uh, high in the mix yeah. uh, for a long time. Elsie Greenwood, who's not even on the semifinalist list. Do you think Lester, part of his problem was where he stuttered so badly and had such a difficult time talking? And, and unless you're a Raiders fan, maybe you don't know how good he was because he was so quiet, because he was embarrassed of, of stammering. Yeah, that could be. That could be. I think that his his resume, though, jumps off the page. I mean, you look at someone with He's two fantastic. rings, a defensive player of the year, even if you don't turn on any games, even if you never saw him, if you're just looking on paper, I, I think it's pretty hard to look at what Lester Hayes put together and not say, oh, yeah, this is this is a Hall of Famer. So, you know, I, me personally, I like Bob Kuchenberg's case. He, he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been one of my top six last year because I probably would have tried to get one super senior in uh, someone from before. There's debate: is that before 1970? Is it before 1960? Is it before 1950? I would have probably tried to get one older person in, and I'm dead set on Sterling Sharp. And I know some people will say, "Well, he's young; he can wait." I, I think it's a joke that Sterling Sharp isn't in and obviously i'm a bears fan shannon should be in as well shannon's in oh he yeah. already made it oh yeah. yes yeah yeah wow okay. second both second. guys were great players i didn't mm -hmm. realize that shannon made it though yeah yep so that's the situation did he go in as a bronco or a raven that's a question uh you don't really go in as anybody you just go in, in the pro football hall of fame yeah yeah and Jack, uh, what's the story with Virginia McCaskey? Uh, does she deserve to be a semifinalist? I, I, I asked this question this, this morning on uh, the Gabriel Talks football show. I I brought up the subject of uh, Virginia McCaskey, and there were a lot of people in our chat room who were saying she doesn't deserve for what for you know being George Hallis's daughter and so forth. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's a wonderful honor. She seems like a very nice woman. And um, just having her name, she's never been a semifinalist. So having her name on this list is very cool. Um, the coach contributors, you know, even fewer than the seniors. So I think the front runner right now is assumed to be Bob Kraft. Uh, that's probably a pretty good bet, but you've got some great Super Bowl winning coaches. You've got some great non-Super Bowl winning coaches as well. I mean, I love Marty Schottenheimer. And you've got Clark Shaughnessy, who Bears fans should know. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's the end. <laughs> of that. I think yeah. Hester, then. I mean, not to switch, to switch topics, but still Hall of Fame. Is Devin Hester... Is there a real chance he makes it? So there is, but it's not looking like it because for whatever reason, voters elevated Jared Allen over him last year. So the way that the modern era vote works is that you get the 25 semifinalists and then you get 15 or 25 plus because of ties, but then you get 15 finalists and then those 15 end up being split into three groups. You've got the first five and that's the class. And then you've got the second five and they have the inside track, presumably. And then you have the third five. Devin Hester, his first year of eligibility two years ago was in that second five, meaning he was one of the next five up. Jared Allen was in the third and they switched. Um, I want Devin in as soon as possible. I personally think that while first ballot can be, you know, a 
an irrelevant distinction in some respects. I do think that there are certain people where, yeah, absolutely, the best of the best of the best, the no-brainers, the, the stand-up, sit-down presentations, you know, where they the guy stood up and said Brett Favre and sat down, and that was his presentation. Or the guy stood up and said Peyton Manning, sit back down. I, I think that Devin did that, and in the group that I'm in, uh, the Not in Hall of Fame committee, we meet and we, we go through this entire process, but on our own, we voted Devin Hester in first ballot. And I'm one of only two Chicago guys in the group, um, so it wasn't wasn't just me. We, we we voted him in. I'm annoyed that Jared Allen jumped him. I look at Jared Allen more as like a very he's an excellent player, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, I'll never forget the image for the of Bears. yeah. I mean, I'll never forget the image of him stuffing Matt Forte on that fourth and goal in 2008, and then remember Gus Farratt hit. Barian for that 99-yard touchdown. Yep. Former um, game that we should have never let go, but yep. But Jared Allen to me is more uh, – he's he's like a big collection of numbers. Antonio Gates is like a big collection of numbers. Like they're great numbers and you should be in the Hall of Fame, but to me Devin Hester had an impact that was greater than that, and he has the great collection of numbers. Is he going to get in this year? My sense is that he is not. Um, when I – saw that he was a finalist two years ago before he had before the class had come out. And so we just knew he was in the final 15. Uh, I wrote a piece for Windy City Gridiron called Devin Hester is a lock for the Hall of Fame by 2027. And the reason was, was that since the semifinalist era started in 2004, every first ballot hall, excuse me, every first ballot finalist had made the Hall of Fame within six years. So I said, all right, Devin's in by 2027. And the fact that as a returner, we've never had a pure returner go into Canton. We've never had a pure returner make it this far, even to the semis, because obviously Gal Sayers, running back, Deion Sanders, cornerback, Rod Woodson, you know, DB, you've got some other guys like that. So to see Devin Hester get this far, you already know that clearly the voters are with him. It couldn't, it couldn't just be Dan. You know, it can't just for for a guy to be a first ballot finalist. It's not just one voter pummeling people with information or like really beating the drum. It, clearly, he had momentum just coming in. And I thought what was telling was that when he retired, there were still all these is, is Devin Hester going to make the Hall of Fame articles? And then by the time he was eligible, it was is Devin Hester going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer articles? So. To answer your question, I don't think he's going to get in this year. You, for whatever reason, the voters left three wide receivers in the finalists last year. Uh, Andre Johnson, um, Torrey Holtz, who's been there for a while, and Reggie Wayne. And they got kind of enamored with wide receivers because while they were going through this, they got Heinz Ward, who's been a semifinalist for a long time. And then they put Steve Smith and Anquan Bolden in. They kind of like pushed some guys along. Which I think, like, you need to start looking at like the back end of the eligibility. Richmond Webb has never been a semifinalist. Steve Wisniewski's only been a semifinalist once. Randall Cunningham has never been a semifinalist. Ruben Brown has never been a semifinalist. You're talking about guys who, you know, define their position in terms of Richmond Webb, who was 1990s all decade. Carnell Lake has never been a semifinalist. He was 1990s all decade. So there's there's a number of guys like that. I see someone respond. They're doing Devin wrong. I agree. Ultimately, what matters is that the right people get in. 
we saw this last year where um, there was a big push late in his eligibility for Albert Lewis, the great corner for Kansas City and then for the Raiders. And, um, and also one of the all-time leaders with the most uh, kicks blocked. I basically, I hadn't thought about, like I knew Albert Lewis, but I hadn't thought about him in like a Hall of Fame context until last year and learning about him. I was like, he's like if Charles Tillman and Steve Tasker were one person. And maybe that's not fair to Peanut because Peanut played some nice special teams, but you get the idea where you think of Steve Tasker as like the ultimate specialist. And that was Albert Lewis. Well, Albert Lewis didn't get elevated until his 20th year. Now he's in the senior committee. He might have some momentum behind him. But if the voters, this is just my perspective, if the voters weren't so fast to elevate certain guys into the semis, uh, they might spend a little bit more time on guys who are in the back you know, quarter of their eligibility and take a harder look at guys who are running out of years in their eligibility. So that's what I would like to see. I was disappointed that James Harrison was a first ballot semifinalist because again, when that happens, it just puts you on the track. Every first ballot semifinalist in that time period is in and they get in within 11 years. So maybe they have a little bit of a wait, but like a senior candidate like Steve McMichael, the average wait time, um, and I didn't update it for last year, but I think it was like 2004 to 2022, the average wait time for a senior was over 18 years, meaning you retire, you wait your five years, then you're eligible for 20 years, and then you're not eligible as a modern, then you start your senior eligibility and you wait another 18 years. That's why all these people die before they get into the Hall of Fame. So I would like to see the voters start spending a little bit more time on the back end of the eligibility. Ben Coates is another one, you know, a guy who defined his position. Keith Jackson is now a senior. I thought that after Shannon Sharp, Ben Coates and Keith Jackson were the two tight ends who defined that position for a long period of time. And instead, they're just running down the all-time rushing career yardage list. They're just running down the career wide, you know, receiving, receiving list. If if offensive guards had, if there was a big page on pro football reference, it said how many blocks you made and it was just a big fat list. Ruben Brown would be in the hall of fame by now. He's got all the pro bowls. Where's Ruben Brown? I'll tell you for bears fans. You want to talk about somebody who you have to talk about. And I, I be curious to get your guys take, because I was always someone who throughout his career, I thought Lance Briggs, I always said future hall of famer, Lance Briggs. And I think Lance, in my opinion, now you're more qualified to talk about this than me, obviously, but I think the two Tressman years in 13 and 14 really hurt Lance. I love Lance, too. I love him as a personality. I loved him as a player. What was he, a third-round pick? He exceeds all expectations, <clears throat> makes Erlacher better, blah, blah, blah. I agree. But Lance, the thing with, like, the – oh, well, don't forget the crashing the Lamborghini, leaving the scene, but the I'm going to start a restaurant and miss – and then, like, he get he got a little bit heavy during the 13th season when they elevate him off the injured list at the end of the year. He's out of shape. He has this I-don't-give-a-fuck kind of attitude after Lovey's gone. And I love Lance, but I think those last two years he kind of mailed it in, and I think that hurts his legacy. And I agree with you, and I think the other thing that happened at the exact same time, at the exact same time that that was going on, Peanut Tillman was turning himself from – an excellent player who we all thought, like, why isn't this guy in the Pro Bowl every year? 
to a guy who had one of the greatest seasons ever for a corner. Yeah. Yes. And because everybody thought of Peanut and Lance, at, 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 you know, at simultaneously because they were drafted around apart, and obviously they were friends and they they were they were good basically on the same timeline. I mean, Lance, you know, they were both starters by the, as rookies. I think that exactly Dan what you just said is what happened. That people looked at Tillman in 2012 and were like, "Whoa, holy cow!" Lance, remember, should have been in the Pro Bowl in 2012, and he wasn't. That would have given him, I think, nine. And and I, like you said, I think that that it, it dipped. And instead, you had Peanut, who was having a really good 2013 when he got injured. And then you had Peanut in 2014. He went down after two or three. But I think he was it was a week two. Three. That's the most indelible image of week Peanut in my, in my head. He's in San Francisco on Sunday night, the night that the park opened. And when they go to tell him on the sidelines, I think it was his peck. Yeah. But they go to tell him that he's done, and Peanut fucking cried on the sidelines. The only other person I can think of was when Mike Brown cried on opening day in San Diego in 07 when he was out for the season. I love the passion, but let me ask you this. And this is well, I, well, well, one second. I want to fin- sure, I want to finish sure. this point. So my sure, point please, here, please, I'm sorry. My, Go ahead. That's okay. My my point here is that if Bears fans want to beat the drum for someone, don't worry about Devin Hester. Devin Hester's getting in. Don't worry about Peanut Tillman because Peanut. Is, it is in a unique position, I've never seen this before, where a guy's resume actually gets stronger the further he gets away from his career because as we all see the impact that the peanut punch has had in, in reshaping how the defensive back position is played and even how linebacker is played, I think that there are a lot of people who are now going to look again at at Charles's numbers and they're going to see what we were seeing in real time. Cause I don't know about you guys, but I thought that peanut could have been a pro bowler every year from 05 to 09 and should have been a pro bowler starting in 2000, like no excuses, 2010, but I thought he was a pro bowl player. Oh, five, oh, six, oh, seven, oh, eight. Do you think 09. the Steve Smith playoff game hurts him? Cause I mean, he got roasted. You have like 230 <clears throat> yards receiving. Uh, you know, I, I thought that he could have been in the pro bowl in 2005 and he wasn't. And then, yeah, he got killed, but he wasn't the only guy who got killed. And then in 2006, he had a very good season. And then in 2007, he had an awesome season. He had he had two block punts. He had those forced fumbles uh, on the night game against Green Bay. Those back to back possessions against James Jones. You know, on on a nationally televised game, he was dope in 07. He was great in 08 or 09. So no, yeah, I, don't, I, I, I personally that night. yeah, I, I so I personally don't think that's the issue. Here's the issue that people should be talking about if they feel this way. If they feel the same way that I feel about Lance Briggs, that's the guy you got to start talking about because Lance Briggs, despite only being this year in his fifth year of eligibility, Lance Briggs is in a lot of trouble because here are the guys who you have ahead of him. We know Patrick Willis is getting into the hall very soon. So they cleared the decks on Zach Thomas last year. <clears throat> we, we, we know that Patrick Willis is going to get in. Um, we know that probably Terrell Suggs is going to get in. We know that when they're there, Luke uh, Keekley is going to get in. We know Bobby Wagner is going to get in. Um, I think I'm. I think I'm missing some guys. I think that Khalil Mack, even though he had a little bit of a dip, he's probably still up ahead. And you're you're looking at Lance already in his fifth year. Well, now last year they added James Harrison as a first ballot semifinalist, and they added London Fletcher. And Lennon Fletcher, semifinalist in his fifth year of eligibility, I think the only player 
who made the semis in his fifth year, in his first five years, and didn't get in, uh, and is now in the senior pool is Steve Tasker. And we know that Steve Tasker has, he's got his own lane because of special teams. So basically what you're looking at is uh, Patrick Willis and James Harrison, London Fletcher, Keekley, Wagner. Oh, sorry, I missed Von Miller. And then you're going to be butting up on the other end when by the time, you know, TJ Watt comes around, it's going to be like, oh, well, that's kind of a linebacker. So, like, it's going to be him. I know that there's some people who love Levante Davis. And it's going to become a real problem for Lance Briggs because you're only, you know, putting in five people a year. If you've got 10 linebackers, you're only eligible for 20 years, you only got 15 years left, you start to crunch the numbers, and Lance is in some trouble. So I would say that if Bears fans feel the way that I do, that Lance Briggs is a Hall of Famer, that's the guy you should start talking about. Don't worry about Devin Hester. He's fine. Charles is going to be like – Charles could go until his 15th year and not make the semis, and then all of a sudden go semis, semis, finals, inducted. I mean, he's going to be like a guy who – he could be late. It, it won't matter because his resume keeps looking better every single year. Lance Briggs. But to me, if, if the reason I can't champion Lance, although, I, again, I love Lance. I bought Lance's jersey. Uh, but it, it, to me, it's like Wilbur or Otis Wilson are both great players who should arguably be in. And if, again, Wilbur Marshall can't make it, then I'm not going to be upset if Lance Briggs can't make it because I think both of those guys should be in. But then they'll say, well, you can't have all three of them in because Mike's already in. You can't have Otis and Wilbur and Singletary. But to me, they're both more dominant in both. And we've already talked about Wilbur's statistics. Like, to me, that's the guy that should be over Lance. But it's not like I'm going to argue and say Lance shouldn't make it. But, I mean, I would champion Mongo, not because he's sick, or Wilbur or Otis Wilson. So yeah, if you I mean, those guys can't make it, and it took Richard Dent forever too, and Richard's yeah. always having ten sacks a season. So, so obviously, it, you know there there is there is some level of of uh, of capital that you have in order to push for guys. Like, how much energy does any one person have to push for all of these bears? I mean, here's a name we haven't mentioned: Jay Hilgenberg. Right. Like everybody thought at the time, oh, Jay Hilgenberg is one of those guys, like. He wasn't Dwight Stevenson, but he was like the next center. You know, Mike Webster played for a while in the 80s. But, you know, Jay Hogenberg had that huge run where every year he was in the Pro Bowl. And feels like he should be someone who's in there. And that brings another name that we haven't mentioned, Olin Krutz. I, I think that with Olin, you know, they, they've, they've been spacing centers out like 10 years apart, give or take. So... I don't think it's that big of a deal that Olin hasn't gotten in the mix yet, but I think that if someone younger than him jumps up, then that might start to be a concern. Listen, these are the problems that come with winning with with not winning the one Super Bowl you were in. Is that you're, you know nobody on that lovey team is going to get that bump? But my point was, there are people who are Bears fans who love Lance Briggs, like you said, who don't think he was a Hall of Famer. I do. There are people who don't. My point is, if you do think that he's a Hall of Famer, that's the person who you need to whatever degree that fans on the internet have any kind of a, you know, say or any kind of influence. Lance Briggs is the guy you need to be talking about. And I would say that the way that you need to do it is you need to stop talking about outside linebacker based on sack numbers. You need to start talking about it based on the way that Lance played the game, which is an all-around player. Do you and think if he beats Tony Dungy that Dungy makes it? You know, coach is such a tricky spot. 
if anybody was going to get there um, without a ring, I think Tony would have been a really good one because we all saw the way that he turned Tampa Bay around. I mean, boom. And then, of course, you know, I, I'm sure people remember, but some people probably forget, when did Tony Dungy can't come to Indianapolis? He came the year after playoffs, playoffs. So he took that team, and obviously that team was already in position. That was already a good team. But, you know, he took that team, and, and he turned their defense around. He, he, he got that team over the hump. If they had lost that game, I don't know. Yeah, you might be looking at Tony Dungy out, even though I would say that's ridiculous. He's clearly one of the greatest coaches um, ever. But look at Dan Reeves. Dan Reeves is clearly one of the great coaches ever. Jim in the ring. Look at look at Marty Schottenheimer. Marty Schottenheimer is clearly one of the great ones the ever. Forced out after going fourteen and two, no less, with San Diego in 06. Couldn't get yeah. a gig. Yeah. So I, I think it's possible. That's what yeah. killed him. His career, though, all those championship losses. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I, I, so I, I think it's possible that yeah, if if, the, if we had won Super Bowl forty one, that you know now you're definitely looking at Lance in. Now you're definitely looking at Olin in. Now Devin's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, as I always say, and this is one of these, this is this is where some of this gets frustrating. I think that we all agree that we didn't run the ball enough, and if we had just kept feeding Thomas, that we might have won that Super Bowl. If we feed Thomas and we win that Super Bowl, Thomas wins Super Bowl MVP. If Thomas wins Super Bowl MVP, we don't trade him. And if we don't trade him, he retires as the number two runner in Bears history behind Walter Payton. And if Thomas Jones is the number two rusher in Bears history behind Walter Payton and a Super Bowl MVP with 10,000 yards and 71 career touchdowns. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's in town. I love it. I love it. Let me ask you another question. We asked Thomas Jones this on this network. That's my guy. Uh, that is my love, guy. I love, I love Thomas too. He's I'm from the area Thomas is from, uh, but oh, big don't get. Yeah, he played for the uh, the Powell Valley Vikings in high school. They're now known as the Union Bears. But anyway, I asked him or through a video because I couldn't join live, and I loved Rex. But what if Lovey in the second half says, "You know what, Rex, you're you're not throwing the ball well. Maybe it's the rain. We're gonna go with Greasy <clears throat> in the second half." It, Thomas basically agreed. He said that the game was too big for Rex. And he liked Rex. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he agreed with my, my, I always thought, again, if Mike Brown or Tommy Harris aren't hurt, maybe we don't have to do that. But given the same circumstances, what do you think? If I say they put Greasy in the second half, do we win? I think uh, we do. I think probably. But I also have always thought, and I thought it at the time, you know, we're, we're coming off a season where we won we won 11 games or maybe 10 games, 10 games with a fourth round rookie. And oh, you're going to tell me Orton. You're not going to say Orton should have been starting the game. No, but what, I'm, but what I'm, but what I'm <laughs> saying is, but what I'm saying is, is that we won 10 games. I think we went 10 and four. Rex won the game Orton. at Green Bay on Christmas to clinch the division. Right. And he came off the bench to win the Falcon game, but Kyle KO gets the start on that. But yeah, Rex won the game in Green Bay. So if they won eleven and five, okay, so Rex, Rex won is, one of those. Okay, so, but that was his only. But that was his only start because then the next week Just against Minnesota started the week after. Right. Oh, okay. So my point is, is that we won ten games in a division with a fourth round rookie, and the way that we did that was game planning around his weak, strengths and weaknesses. Sure. And I think it would be. I, I think that if if Rex had gotten hurt down the stretch or, you know, remember he had had that terrible game against Minnesota. Uh, Devin had the punt return touchdown. We won 23, 13. 
That's going, when Tommy got hurt that day too, Tommy Harris. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And going into the next week against St. Louis, I remember it was like, well, Rex is like on the block, you know, if he doesn't have a great but he had game. a great game against the Rams. And I was kind of like, really? He's on the block and he's going into a, like turf? Like that doesn't really say anything. Like he should make the call now, you know, if you're going to do it, do it. I think if that had happened, I think that we – would have won because I think that Greasy would have just been a little bit more of a steady Eddie. But even if it was Greasy out there, I don't care who was the quarterback, he should have been running the ball. And I think the bigger question than um, should we pull Rex, not, I don't know. This, this guy started 16 games. He's got you in the Super Bowl. I know he didn't get us there, but, you know, he's your quarterback. I, I understand that one. I think to me the much bigger question is when Cedric went down, why didn't we – start going to Adrian Peterson. If you had to, so Owen, Owen and I talked about this and he said, and Thomas has said the same thing, that he thinks that they both think because we've been running this two back attack that if, um, that when Cedric went down, that maybe Ron Turner got like thrown off his game. Owen specifically pointed out a second and one where they sent Rex on like an eight step drop, Booger McFarland sacked him. And then you go to third and nine and he goes, if Cedric was in the game, on second and one, we run the ball. But I'm like, why aren't we running to Thomas? And if you think, all right, Thomas still needs a break or we want this change of pace, why? where was Adrian Peterson? He was active that game. So sure. that to me is a bit, that that to me is my bigger question than like, should we have pulled Rex at halftime? Oh gosh, that is a really gruesome scenario. Taking your quarterback who's played the entire season and is the starter. It's not like Earl Morrow and uh, Bob Greasy in 72, and that at least happened in the in the AFC title game. You know, if you pull your guy. Well, I'll go with yeah. another Dolphins reference then. I mean, it's like when they take they pull Woodley against the Chargers in the Winslow game. Okay. They're like, well, look, uh, you just aren't getting the job done today. And then they make the, the flip, and then suddenly they, you have one of the all-time classic games ever. So, I mean, you, you can't worry. I love Rex, but you can't worry about his feelings when you're trying to win a championship. And I'm you're not, in the second half. Look at the pick six he throws at the end of the game to, I, to Hayden. But again, why are we throwing a deep out two plays in a row? We know that you've got a quarterback who is high turnovers. We know that everybody's fumbling the football. Why aren't we just grinding these people into dust? So I look more at Adrian Peterson and that choice. And, you know, people, I don't know why people like to like get on Cedric. I'm like, Cedric ran the ball twice. He fumbled once. And he was he injured in the second play. And when he was injured, we were up 14 to six. So let's not like lay this uh, on Cedric Benson. Um, that is a bigger question to me is why didn't we just continue running the ball? Why didn't we go to uh, go to Adrian Peterson? It, I mean, we should have stayed with Thomas. But in the event that the thought process was like, well, we, we need a second back. We don't have one now. So we, we may as well just drop Rex back to throw. Why not just go to Adrian Peterson? Why not go to Jason McKee? I mean, any of these guys would have been better than um, any of these guys would have been better than than just sticking the ball in Rex's hands, especially I, with the variable of the rain, the constant I, hey man, rain. Hey man, I spent Super Bowl Forty One wearing a headband that I'd written in black sharpie, Grossman, because I wanted to show <laughs> show my respect. I wish I had a photo of that. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> but um, but that to me is is the bigger that's the bigger question, and that's one of those things where. You know, a Super Bowl can really change someone's fortunes in terms of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, we can all agree that Seattle should have run that ball. And if they do that, Marshawn Lynch has 100 yards, 
two touchdowns, the Super Bowl MVP, back-to-back champs, and Marshawn Lynch just walking into the Hall of Fame. Now, I think I still think he gets there. I still think he gets there, but he's going to have a little bit more trouble with voters, especially when they've elevated Fred Taylor, seemingly just because he's the next guy up on the all-time rushing list, removing Adrian Peterson and Frank Gore, who are in their own rights. Uh, Jack, we've only got a couple minutes left, uh, and I want to get this question in from Cliff. It's uh, non-Hall of Fame related. He wants uh, to know what you think about all the big-name ESPN firings, if uh, you're willing to comment on that, and what you think about what the future holds for ESPN. I don't have a lot of thoughts on that, Cliff, but I will tell you who does. Lawrence Holmes is uh, does his House of L podcast. And among the types of shows that he does, he'll do like, I don't know, he's done like two or three incredible breakdowns to like take you inside the media, the sports media world. And he did an episode, I think it's called just like ESPN layoffs or something like that. I mean, you can find it really easily. And, and Lawrence explains that to a T. So I'm going to, I'm going to punt Lawrence on this one. And uh, you guys, if you're not listening to House of L, you definitely should. But you should definitely check out that episode, Lawrence Holmes, House Bell Podcast. It's one of his last, like, I don't know, 10 or so. I mean, it happened, like, right after the layoffs. And it's called something like ESPN Layoffs. You should definitely look that up, Cliff, and um, and anybody else who's listening and who wants to know. Because Lawrence explained it, and he explains it way better than I can. We'll take a listen to that. And, uh, Jack, for those listening on our audio podcast, tell them where they can find you on social media and what you're working on. Sure. So we mentioned the 90s Bears, excuse me, 90s Bears book. That'd be funny. We mentioned the 90s Bulls book, and it is called Six Rings. It's been uh, been working on it since 2020. It's a slow roller, but it's coming. All the material is great, and you can read the material at readjack.substack.com. And you can subscribe for uh, packs a month or pip a year. If you know what I mean by that, then you are the right person. To subscribe to that. Uh, Absolutely. The, uh, I love the, it. The, the interviews have been have been great. Uh, the material I get is great. Um, I'm I'm one that's in the can right now that I'm working on is uh, a long interview with Ray Clay, and had, had, some, had some oh yeah I had some great interviews. Scott Williams, Will Purdue, but there's other types of pieces in there. Um, I interviewed the guy at uh, Carson Peary Scott who turned them into. The, he's the reason why you had to go there to get your championship shirt on the next day. Uh, I interviewed Jim Irwin, who was the sound engineer at Chicago Stadium, and he, among other things, showed me the actual uh, decks, the actual tape tape decks of um, uh, Rock and Roll Part Two and Sirius, the actual ones that you pop in at Chicago Stadium to to play those. Um, those were incredible interviews. I did a great one with a Bulls ball boy. He became like the best known Bulls ball boy. Like when Oprah was looking for a ball boy to interview, it was, um, it was, uh, it was this guy, Chris Mott. And you can actually see him in one angle of the Pippin dunk over Patrick Ewing. You can see Chris under the basket, just going, ah, and he tweeted, (laughs) he, he tweeted this, um, he told someone, that what Pippen said to Patrick Ewing as he passed over him was, "Eat these nuts," and that's why Ewing was. Re- that's what Ewing's reacting to. So that was Chris Mott, and 
Chris Mott talked about he knew exactly what kind of gum and how many sticks of gum Ron Harper wanted compared to Scotty Pippen. That's a great, great interview. So there's a lot of really cool, cool stuff on there. Meetjack.substack.com. Sign up. You can subscribe. Um, and uh, it's, it's all driving toward a book, which is coming in the future. Jack, we'd love to have you back on in the future to talk about more sports history and the current Chicago Bears. I know uh, you've got a lot of thoughts to share on that, so I'll be hitting you up again real soon. Okay, brother? Sounds good. Well, hey, Dan, this is – I mean, Aldo, it's always great. Great to speak with you. But, Dan, we really enjoyed getting to know you, and um, this was awesome. So thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. Can I ask you one more question, Jack? Yeah. Quick, quick. Just your opinion as a fan. Now, I'm just asking you as a fan. Let me preface this. I went for the Bulls. I was not going for Utah. The last shot, the last shot, I've argued for years on here, he fouled Russell. That's an offensive foul. If any other player pushes Russell to the floor like that, it's called. It's because it's Jordan they don't call it. What do you think? Don't care. Reggie Miller, Brian Russell should be better. We still got the defensive play. We still win game seven. Don't care. Championship. Don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought I thought that I thought that John Stockton and Brian Russell have both said I mean John Stockton at one point he's done a few interviews. Um he said like was it a foul? Yes. Do you call it? No. He was like offensive players all have little tricks to get their shot off. So he he's Michael Jordan, he had a little trick. Um a piece that I wrote in two thousand eighteen, Google it, it's called The Last Day of the Dynasty. And it was a it was an oral history that I did on game six. I wrote it for Chicago magazine. And I took all of the quotes of all these players that they gave at the time and a few, some to fill in the spaces, a few that were afterward. And it's a really great look at how that play all, you know, played out. But that was what John Stockton said. He just said, like, was it a foul? Sure. Should it be called? Absolutely not. Oh, there you go, Dan. He says it was a foul. I don't see John Stockton said that. I don't say that. Okay. Brian, Brian Russell. Hold your ground, man. Center of gravity. Get your balance right. I have played that replay a million times for Dan, and there is no extension of the elbow on that. He may have pushed him slightly without bending the elbow, but it wasn't a push in the legal sense of the word. At least I understood it. I'll tell you guys the fun one that doesn't get talked about it at all. And obviously, I'm a huge Bulls fan, so I don't care. I'll say it. It's, It's a fun one. Watch Michael's leg on Steve Kerr's jumper. And watch John, John Stockton. That's all I'm going to say. Watch Michael's leg. Watch Stockton. Watch Kerr hit the shot. You talking about game one? I'm talking about game uh, six. Are you talking 90, about the championship? 90, okay. 97. I was thinking of the game that Jordan hit the shot at the beginning of the finals. No, no, okay. no. Okay, Watching Michael, Michael pivots through the double team and then dishes to the right to Steve Kerr. And as he does that, watch his leg shoot out at a 90-degree angle. John Stockton trips, falls, and Steve Kerr and Scotty Pippen both said with Rachel Nichols. I think that's the way more fun one. It's not. The, it's not the push off. Michael. Michael. It's the trip. Jack is absolutely right. The uh, Bulls got away with one that night uh, with that play. I remember that the, uh, very clearly. <laughs> the terrible foul they called a lean beer uh, against Kareem cost the Pistons a title in '88. The, yeah, the you know, so it goes. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the NBA officiating is actually worse than uh, NFL officiating, in my opinion. But, uh, Jack, again, great, great having you on. This was a lot of fun. I told you you'd enjoy 
yeah, I told you you'd enjoy talking with Dan, and uh, you guys should do a show together. You, and that would be fascinating because you you guys both know your history very very well. Yeah, uh, we'll uh, we'll be in touch. Okay, Jack. All right, guys, take care. Bear down. All right, yes, sir. Be well. Wow, that was outstanding, man. It was fun. It was really yeah. fun. Let me see if I can get my... Uh, I'm sorry my... I didn't even realize you had told me that you were going to the restroom. I was just involved in the podcast. So. That's fine. I'm glad uh, I'm glad that uh, you were having a good time. I could tell you were having a good time. And, uh, oh, sure. We got to have him back. Got to have him back. It was great just hearing all the insight on, on things, how he knows what's going on and stuff. I mean, I feel bad mm -hmm. for Mongo now. I had more hopes than I should have, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know... Uh, Jack is one of those guys who really deserves to be known much more in Chicago uh, sports circles, and I and because of his writing, he's an excellent writer. He's got outstanding opinions, whether you agree with him or not. Uh, he always presents them in an interest, interesting oh, he was way. Great. He was great. He's a, he's a very good guy. Uh, Cliff says, although that was a great interview, love hearing from an expert. Yeah, well, let's get some more experts, and uh, and then we'll write this. Uh, uh, planning on bringing us some more ex-Chicago Bears, so we're excited about that. Uh, we've got a soft agreement from uh, Jared Payton to uh, join the show, so we're going to have some interesting guests coming up. Uh, what I want to do with Mr. Payton is I want to head over to his restaurant in Naperville, and uh, that way when we have him on, I can give him a review of his restaurant uh, that he opened <laughs> up a few months ago. So I think that'll be fun. So as soon as I do that, I'll reach out to him, and, and I'm sure he'll uh, make some time for us. Um, our next show, Dan Aguirre, uh, has agreed to do it on Thursday. That way it can accommodate our next Chicago former Chicago Bears wide receiver and if anyone if anybody guesses in the chat room who this wide receiver is i will uh invite you on the show to be a part of the interview how's that uh but you've only got a minute or so because we're gonna a, pull the can we have one uh, one guess or one clue yeah one clue this man caught i won't tell you what game or what down or any of that because it'll give it away this man had a game-winning touchdown in 2009 mm -hmm. with jay cutler quarterback he had a game-winning touchdown how about that? I mean, oh, that's a great clue. That's a great clue. And that's clue. not giving anything too specific away. But yeah. I'm talking about a walk off touchdown. The last play of the game, it's over. Touchdown. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not Johnny Knox and it's not Rashid Davis. By the way, uh, Stephen Me, I think it was Stephen, uh, had one of the funnier chat comments of the night. Maybe the funniest. He said uh, Jay Cutler's exercise bicycle should be in the Hall of Fame. See, the guy's trying to work off his injury there, the knee, but uh, and everyone, <laughs> yeah, everyone like, ridicules him for trying to get back into the game. Adam is trying hard, but he's wrong. I'd love to get uh, Barian on it. He's one love of your Bernard favorites. Barian. Yeah. yeah, I don't know where he is. I've been trying to get a hold of uh, um, Dennis McKinnon, but I can't find him. I still and, like Mike Tomzak too. Yeah, Mike Tomzak. Boy, he, I've tried, man, and I know you've tried. Um, but he just will not respond to any of the uh, tweets, and I don't have an email or any other way of getting a hold of him. But we'll keep trying. We'll keep trying. If anybody comes up with the name, to be Mike North is the only way he will get him. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe. I think Mike has his phone number. I'll ask Mike. Uh, Mike and I are recording something in the next couple of days. Um, 
Cliff says, I think bears didn't manage Cutler's diabetes well. Low blood sugar means your brain shuts down. I agree with that, Cliff. I, you know, I, I do think that the whole diabe diabetes thing has altered Jay's mood. And it could be that it happened even before he was a professional football star, going through the symptoms of diabetes, and it's just going to make you ornery. And uh, and I think that just kind of carried over. Being a superstar high school athlete, athlete, he probably you know just was always in a bad mood, and not always, but frequently because of his blood sugar. And uh, so I, I think that impacted his life. But that's for somebody else to write. Maybe Jack will write the <laughs> Jay Cutler autobiography. If I could jump in real quick, I got to go to my, my job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I love the show. I appreciate your time. I'm sorry I sound like shit, but I hope Jack enjoyed talking, and I enjoyed talking to Mr. Iglesias. Uh, it was a really fun show, and someone just got the correct answer. Mr. Mayhem. It was against the Minnesota Vikings, and how – that game was so important that it had the Vikings won, they would have had home field advantage in the championship game against New Orleans would have been in the Metrodome. Mm -hmm. Conversely, they had to go to the Superdome, and that cost them a Super Bowl. The Bears beating Minnesota cost them a Super Bowl with Brett Favre. So that's fan-fucking-tastic. That's fantastic. Mr. Mayhem, if you want to jump in on the show with us when we have Devin on, uh, hit me up. Are you on Twitter? If so, uh, hit me up at at Barroom Network in the DMs. Now, what if Devin says, I can't do it? Are we still going to go on Tuesday? Um, well, I think I think he's locked in for next okay. Thursday. So, All right. Uh, but I'll double-check that. If, if, if for some reason we learn that he can't make it next Thursday, we'll go back to Tuesday. How's that? All right. Love you, man. You got to go. Love you too, brother. Take care. All right. Safe travels. That is Senor Dan Aguirre. Um, I'll just wrap things up here quickly. Let me uh, put a better background there. And uh, I just want to thank all, all of you folks who have joined us uh, live tonight. And uh, those of you listening on demand or watching on demand, uh, thank you all very much for being a part of Bear Their Souls. Uh, Mr. Mayhem hit me up. I enjoyed the show. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayhem. Uh, and uh, again, the invitation to come on and talk to Devin is, uh, is open for you. Just uh, get a hold of me at Barroom Network. Uh, on Twitter, and uh, if you want to send me an email, uh, best let me see if I can put it up on the screen. Uh, my barroom account is not working properly, so um, just hit me with an email there, Mr. Mayhem. Cliff says, "Let's talk movies." My my wife was watching Saturday Night Fever and got turned off by the sex. <laughs> The Sex in the Back Seat uh, with uh, Donna Pascal, I believe, was the name of the actress. Uh, so that's probably the scene that turned her off. Yeah, it was uh, pretty, pretty raunchy. I mean, it was, uh, and, you know, those of us who, who live that kind of lifestyle, you know, there was a lot of backseat sex going on and sometimes it wasn't pretty and so <laughs> that's the scene right exactly yeah i uh frankly i have not seen anything recently other than i saw a multi-part series that was from a few years ago i think it was the uh, the year of the pandemic called unbelievable 
and I believe it was on Netflix, and it's the story of a serial rapist. And it starts off with a young woman being raped, and she's recalling the story to police officers. And this young woman comes from a background of having been uh, sexually assaulted. She was from, went from foster home to foster home and, and so forth. And during the course excuse me, during the course of her uh, stays at foster home, she would sometimes exaggerate the truth or sometimes act promiscuously and so forth. And one of her foster parents revealed that to the police and that immediately casted doubt on the police officers, uh, uh, the police officers believing this young woman. And uh, they dropped the case and even forced her to apologize because this young woman was so tormented, she was easily led astray. While this serial rapist went on and continued to, to rape other women, and it's a really interesting procedural. Two female cops uh, spent years hunting this uh, serial killer down. And so if you're inter interested in a detailed police procedural um, and women who you know have gone through rape and have had the uh, uh, unfortunate incident of not being believed by authorities. It's a, it's a really a, a interesting series. It's called Unbelievable. Um, Stephen is saying, avoid Asteroid City. You know what? I've been dying to see it, Steve. I'm a Wes Anderson fan. My daughter and I were supposed to see it, but I did not. Uh, we weren't able to go. Uh, because the weather was really bad. So I'm still going to watch it, Steve, but uh, I hear you. You don't like it. a lot. Of, and, and I wonder, Steve, are you a Wes Anderson fan? Um, and then, uh, yeah, Mr. Mayhem says Unbelievable is a good show. So we got a, a second endorsement there on Unbelievable. Cliff Victoria says, I'm a gun proponent living in Florida, but I'd rather watch sex than people should <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I totally agree. You know, I, I, I've cooled off on watching action movies as I've gotten older, not because I dislike them. If you put one on now, I probably would enjoy it if it's an entertaining movie, but there's just too much uh, CGI explosions and, and action, you know, seen enough of those movies. Give me a good plot line. Give me a good story. Give me good performances. Uh, and again, I'm not totally adverse to watching an action picture or, you know, a shoot 'em up, but uh, I've seen a lot of them over the years. Uh, Cliff Victoria says, do you watch Suits? Uh, is it like LA Law? I have never seen Suits. It's run for a number of years, I think on TBS. And it's now available on these streaming services. I remember L.A. Law. That was an excellent uh, show. I think that was a Stephen Bochco show who did Hill Street Blues back in the day. And then L.A. Law, a uh, really good uh, lawyer show, a uh, big-time law firm out in Los Angeles. And uh, Jimmy Smith, Corbin Burnson, a number of other stars were in that show. Um, Joe Pickett on Paramount. Plus is pretty entertaining. I don't have Paramount Plus, and I've been thinking about maybe getting it for at least a month or two just to take a look at some of the good series that are there and then uh, and then move on. I, uh, I did see, oh, darn, what was the name of that show? Uh, the Making of the Godfather it was told from the perspective of Robert Evans and... Uh, and I think that was on Paramount Plus. I must have got like a week free in, 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 
in, in binged it. Uh, Cliff says, uh, yes, Aldo, I wanted to grow up to be like Corbin Burns, and he had it all. <laughs> I'll never forget this, this one scene in L.A. Law where Corbin Burns' character has a uh, physical trainer come and see him at his office. And uh, he says, well, uh, the physical trainer says to Corbin, all right, take off your shirt. Let me see what you built there. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we need to work on this. And he starts to touch his chest his breast and, and move it up we need to bring that up and just at that moment his secretary walks in and so she sees this guy fondling corbin bernson's breast i always thought that was hilarious for some reason <laughs> Stephen me says yeah dude love his stuff that was awful though a few interesting scenes but this was paint drying pretentiousness uh he's talking of course of asteroid uh, city and uh and Wes Anderson, the filmmaker. Uma Thurman's daughter is a star, though. Oh, I didn't know Uma Thurman's daughter was in that movie. Uh, uh, you know, and one of the things about Wes Anderson, and I'm sure this is one of the reasons why you love his stuff, is how he photographs movies. He's got this kind of style. I forget what it's called, like a diorama style, how he sets up the the, the camera and shoots in this wide screen. I, I'm dying to see it up in a big screen, but I'm probably going to miss my opportunity. So either way, I'll check it out and, and let you know, Steve. Uh, Jack Ryan on Prime Video is good, says Mr. Mayhem. Yeah, I saw the first two seasons. I'm anxious to watch this final season, season three. I think it's a very, very, very well-produced action series. Uh, and uh, the guy that plays Jack Ryan is excellent in it. I forgot his name. Uh, the Offer. I saw The Offer. It's excellent. Really good, uh, Mo Beerman. And... Uh, <laughs> fucking Foster says I'm a comedy buff. What have you seen lately that's made you laugh, Mr. Foster? Uh, Cliff Victoria says I have to check out Jack Ryan too. Yeah, Jack Ryan, man. I, I, Cliff, have you seen any of the first two seasons? It's really well done. I mean, it's shot uh, different areas of the world. And it's very well paced. The Jack Ryan character is unlike uh, the versions we've seen in motion pictures. It's it's great. Mr. Mayhem says Sons of Anarchy on Hulu is great. Oh, man. I actually own the DVDs of the first two seasons. And I have not gotten around to see it. So uh, I might ditch the DVDs and just watch it on Hulu. Um, uh, fucking Foster says Retro's face is what makes him laugh. <laughs> yeah, Retro has that face, man. There's no thought about it. You won't look at it. You just start cracking up, just like his uh, wife does when she looks at his penis. <laughs> Got you, Retro. Um, and Cliff says, no, he hasn't watched the first two seasons. Oh, so you, you're a very lucky man, Cliff. You get to binge all three seasons. Um, all right, I'm going to pull the plug on this episode of Bear Their Souls. Johnny Santucci was out uh, today. His kids were ill, and he was starting to feel ill, so he, he did the right thing and, and rested up. Our next show is tentatively scheduled for next Thursday, where Will Wright will join us again, and this time he's bringing with him Devin Arashimoto. I mispronounced that, and I'm so tired, it's, I probably won't get it right if I try again, so we'll just skip it and move on. And I want to thank you all for uh, uh, listening. Tomorrow we've got a couple of shows on, and starting with Bardown Hockey Talk. Uh, just follow us here at the YouTube channel, Barroom Network. Subscribe, and you'll get alerts whenever we are live. And I mentioned the Mike North Raging Mouth 
podcast. A bonus episode is actually dropping tomorrow morning of that, where Mike talks about his love of movies, music, and newspapers when he was growing up. It's an interesting thing. You know, Mike's idols were, when he was a kid, were guys who had a lot of faults. He fell in love with, you know, guys like Earl Flynn, who in the big screen, he was a great actor, action and drama and so forth. But in his personal life, Mike as a kid got his hands on uh, uh, Earl Flynn's biography and he was so intrigued by the carousing. You know, uh, Earl Flynn was known to have multiple sex partners at one time, (laughs) had uh, all sorts of weird proclivities. And Mike didn't go to that extreme, but Mike really enjoyed learning about this lifestyle that he was unaccustomed to and the drinking and the partying and all that. And Mike started to kind of follow that lifestyle in in parts. And so he talks about that in the bonus episode that will be released tomorrow. Uh, So follow us at the Barroom Network on Twitter. You will get an alert uh, when that episode is out. That is it. A few more comments here. Um, Thank you, uh, Mo. That's it. We'll call. We'll pull the plug on this one. Uh, th- thanks again, everybody. Bye bye. Where's my video? That's not the video. That's it.